0: And welcome back, guys, to week 18 of That Scale RC Show. I'm your host, Adam Dean, alongside with... Jeremy Kendall. And we got a special guest for you this week. Uh, how about you go ahead and introduce yourself?
1: Hi, how you doing, guys? My name's is Matt Houck. Um, thanks for having me. I am just your average RC guy that happens to work at one of the world's largest online hobby retailers. I work
0: at amainhobbies.com. Awesome right we're on. so happy to, yeah, we're so happy to have you here um, for we're just, yeah, we're gonna start off with the the you know the feeler questions to kind of get you familiar to our viewers or listeners if you know they actually don't know who you are which I mean I don't know who wouldn't but we're gonna know. get <laughs> but we're gonna get through those questions and the first one starts off with, your favorite scale crawler?
1: Oh man, you know, um, it's really hard for me to pick uh, my favorite car. I've got quite a few, I've built off of every platform there is, just about. Um, I'd have to say probably uh, the car that I've dubbed A Main 02, which was the new Kaiser built off of an SCX-10 II, um, ready to run SCX-10 II. Um, I had a, a bed cage done by a guy out of Clovis, California, a guy named JR Fabworks that uh, we worked together. I kind of told him what I wanted out of the cage, and he banged it together for me. Um, and I learned a l- I learned so much with that car because I ended up you know taking a body with a bed and cutting the bed off of it and then making a filler panel out of Lexan. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of wired together my own custom light kit. Um, you know, and, and it was the first time that I took a car and really thought outside of the box as far as how I was going to lay out the electronics and make everything work and look clean and look scale, you know. Um, so th- that would probably be the car that ranks as my number one. Um, yeah so it, it's it's an awesome car. it works really well, but sadly it's been it's got a lot of miles on it, so right now it just kind of sits on the shelf until I can get back to cleaning it up and giving it some some maintenance um It's probably been a year <laughs> since I've driven it or more maybe oh wow <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, see, I was gonna say I thought that's what I saw at the s b c get together. Uh, earlier in the year, but maybe that was your Power Wagon. That was my Power Wagon,
2: and that's, uh,
0: okay. go ahead. No, I was just say, yeah, so I was, at first when you were like, yeah, it's been a year, I'm like,
1: wait a second, was that what I just saw?
0: So, no, now it's coming back to me.
1: The Power Wagon I built for 2018 Axial Fest, and that's kind of a, there's a funny story behind that truck, but uh, long story short, Uh, The cage work in the bumper were done by Matt Henry, also known as Wordy Maiden. He's Mm -hmm. a really good buddy of mine, and uh, he kind of bailed me out on it because I had plans to do a completely different build. And about three weeks before Axial Fest 2018, I realized I wasn't going to be able to get that build done. And so I kind of made a last-minute decision to build this power wagon that I wanted to build. In um, the car, the one-to-one car that inspired me on it was the race tractor, um, which is oh, okay. a pretty famous, you know, U4 type okay. race. Um, so that that was kind of what I was going for as far as the stance and the look of a truck. Um, but I'm not much into like the weathered look. I like okay. things to look, you know, sharp and and race ready, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. And So using the race tractor as my kind of inspiration for the engineering, um, I hit up Matt and asked if he could uh, bail me out. And I went down to his house for the weekend, and we banged it out together. Um, And that truck actually won second place in the most adventurous class at the 2018 Concourse for Action Fest. Nice. Uh, Yeah, so so that car has a special place in my heart also. and honestly, every car I've ever built has a special place in my heart. That's why I don't sell them, you know. Um, I I get attached to them, and I think most everybody else does too.
3: Yeah, um, definitely. You
1: know.
0: Yeah, I'll have to circle back to that topic once we get done with all these because i got a couple questions about that. Um, the second question is your favorite place to go crawling.
1: You know, um... I have a place near me uh, in Berry Creek, California. It's a place called Bald Rock that Mm -hmm. is just, uh, it's awesome. It's crawler nirvana, if you will. Uh, They've held Recon G6 events out there before. Um, You know, it's a, a pretty rad spot. And as far as, like, if I had my choice to drive, if I had four hours to kill, and I was gonna go crawl. That's where I would go. Um, but as far as like my favorite place of all time, I think uh, I would be the same as most people, where I feel that Cisco Grove is just an epic spot because of the variety of terrain and the amenities of the campground. Um, you know, it's just Cisco Grove is a very special place. And I—I oh, yeah. I, that would probably rank as my all-time number one.
0: Awesome. Uh, which kind of leads us into our next question. What would be your favorite event you've ever attended?
1: You know, um, most people would probably expect me to say Axial Fest. Um, I do love Axial Fest. I think it, it was a great event. Um, this year it was a little bit different. Um, but years past I mean, I've I've been in the hobby for going on sixteen years now, nonstop. Um, and I've been to a lot of like some of the biggest races in RC racing. Um, you know, I've been to Ten Scale Electric Off Road Worlds. We actually hosted it. Um, I've you know, you know, uh, just i I've, I've been to a ton of races. And the first time I went to Axial Fest, I. I was blown away by the environment and the people and the camaraderie. You know, it, 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 Axial Fest as a whole truly is a special event. Um, and there's nothing else like it in RC of any kind um, yeah. worldwide. You know, it, it truly is unique. Um, but my favorite all-time event is, um, I would have to say, Crawlmasters, um, which is an event put on by ASD Crawlers. It's a competition. If if you would compare it to some other type of competition, it would probably be similar to cash days for drag racing in the one-to-one world. Um, you know, it's 50 drivers. You pay your entry fee. And top three drivers take the pot. Wow. And yep. the, the thing that's awesome about Crawl Masters is that it's a no-fault event, so you have to drive that course from beginning to end without any rollovers. Um, you can't touch your truck. Uh, you know, no hand of God allowed. Um, if if you roll it and you can't flip yourself back over, you're done. Um, you know, and and they do give some leeway for some things. You know, you can. But overall, it, it's the toughest crawler event I've ever attended and as far as the competition goes um, I am kind of a competition oriented person uh, while I don't compete much anymore, um, I make sure that my calendar is open for Crawl Masters every year, it's it's an awesome thing
0: Nice yeah that's actually one event because it's always been in my backyard um, that's one event that I might try to try my hand at this year or yeah? Next year,
1: one if 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 you have a competitive bug and you want to get out and test your limits, you know it's uh, it's the most fun comp-based event I've ever done. Uh, Nice. Instead, this year I blew it. (laughs) (laughs) I ended up I ended up rolling my truck at the second gate, and I rolled it right into my leg, so I touched it, and I was out.
3: Oh man! Wow.
1: And it's funny because, like I say, it's limited to 50 drivers. And the way you pick your spot is they have poker chips in a bag. And you pick a card, basically. And I pulled 50. So I had to sit there all day and wait, and wait, and wait. And the <laughs> weather was, was unbelievably dangerous. You know, it, it was, uh, I forget what beach they had it on. Um, it was at, Pigeon, was, a- was at Pigeon Point. Yes, exactly. Pigeon Point Lighthouse. And, uh, man, I have never driven in weather like this, you know, driven an RC car. I mean, 40 to 50 mile an hour winds, rain, waves, salt water blasting through the air. I mean, it was insanity. And here we, you know, here's 50 guys that are standing out in the middle of the rain competing in this. Um, I mean, and, and I'll, Oh, I'm not even exaggerating when I say there were places on the course that if you fell, you were gonna fall in the ocean, and <laughs> chances are, uh, you would not, you would not walk away. <laughs> you know, the total potential for getting hauled out in a helicopter. You
0: know, it, it, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that, that's honestly, the weather was the reason why I didn't go because I had texted Brandon and asked him, hey, you know, is it cool if I spectate, if I come down and just watch? And he's like, yeah, he goes, do you want to come down? You're more than welcome to come down. I woke up that morning, and it was storming, and I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to even go. I was like, I'll I'll let them have the fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, Gene, even with all the even with the inclement weather, it was still a great event, you know, and I I have I I'm planning on being there next year.
0: Awesome. Yes. Yeah. Um next question is current number of rigs you own.
1: Ah you know, um are we talking about just crawlers? No are you we can callers? well
0: Ever since Ty's been on this show, we've actually changed this. You know, answer. You can just basically add in whatever it is you want to add into. Um, If it falls in the realm of RC, go ahead and add it because he blew everybody away with his three hundred plus collection. So we just.
1: You know, um, I've got currently twenty three operating cars. I have some cars that need to be put back together. Um, you know, some older eight-scale buggy stuff from when I was uh, racing nitro. Um, but yeah, I've, I've got I've got 23 functional cars at the moment. Um, pales in comparison to Ty's number. <laughs> but, hey, uh, it's,
0: okay. it's okay. We all we weren't expecting that when we asked that question. He yeah. Even even Jay was like, "Are you kidding me?" I he's thought he like, was
3: going to say 50, and I was still going to be impressed with 50, you know?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was going to be something like astronomical. Like, you know, like – and when I say astronomical, I'm going to say like – fit, like Jay said 50. You know, maybe, maybe like getting upwards to like 80. But then when he's like bust out the 300, we're like, all right, we're never going to be able to ask this question again.
1: <laughs> well, how many did Schultz say he had? Oh,
0: that's that's a good question. Schultz, actually, I think Schultz said too many to count. To be honest, because he said, because he's he's done, you know, he's done the buggies. He's got monster trucks. He's got crawlers. I mean, he's got like everything. So that's a good question.
1: Yeah, a lot of people, you know, don't know that John Schultz has been in the industry for a long, long time. Um, Oh yeah, I actually I remember him back when he was at HPI. Oh, uh, him and another guy came up to the indoor track at A-Main Hobbies and uh, came up for a race day. Um, and I didn't meet him at that point, but I remember hearing some of the chatter going around the pits that HPI was at the track, you know, and yeah, so it was kind of funny.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, we've had a couple people that have been pretty like it's the numbers always been interesting. You're like you're ex- like you kind of expect this high number and then sometimes you get lower than what you expected. Another one you're just kind of like, yeah, this is where they're going to cap it off at and then they just hit you with a way higher number and you're like, wow. <laughs> All, right. All right then. Yeah. So, um, and we probably already have the answer for this one based off of a previous question, but comp days or trail days?
1: You know, um, I need a little bit of both. You know, and even like when I go out on a trail with some of my buddies, we always end up, you know, seeing who can pull which lines, you know, and and I actually, I've got some of those old green axial rubber gates and I'll throw them in my, my hydration pack when I head out so that, you know, when the... When the time comes and guys want to start seeing who can pull which line, we'll throw Gates down and, and you know, kind of turn our trail days into a little comp. Um, but that being said, it's not legit competition. It's just buddies trying to one-up each other. Yeah. Um, but I would have to say that I prefer the trail days overall because it's just more laid back. Um, I don't have to spend... The night before going over my car, or maybe the week before the event, going over my car to make sure it's dialed and isn't going to break. Um, you know, it's just laid back, easy going, throw your car down and go.
0: Awesome. Um, n- next question is uh, duh, duh, duh. your favorite scale tire?
1: Oh, man. You know, um, I have always been a fan of Pitbull tires. Um, I love Proline. I love even some of the J Concepts, you know, 19 tires. I won't call them a scale tire, but you know, the J Concepts 19 tires are really good too. Um, but I am kind of fond of Pitbull tires myself because you know, they're the only one-to-one tire manufacturer that makes tires for our tiny trucks.
0: You know, Um, that is... That's a very good
2: point.
1: Yeah, you know, and I mean, ProLine does a great job with their licensed BFGs. Uh, I've got their BFGs on... Let's see, I'm looking at my cars right now. I've got ProLine BFGs on two of them. I've got Ot 6 on one. Um, I've got the ProLine 4.3 Super Swampers on the Power Wagon. Um, And I've got... Pro Line Interco Super Swampers, or not Super Swampers, but Boggers on a Wraith. Um, nice. But then on my, uh, I've got an RC Fabworks um, Beast fully independent suspension car, so it's a four uh-huh. wheel Um and that's got Rock Beast on it. Um, the SSD truck I'm building right now has the the 4.45 size Rock Beast on it. Um, and then I'm, I'm actually I'm building a Toy Zuki comp truck right now that is going to have Pitbull Rock Beast XOR tires on it. Um, so I, I try to show everybody love. You know, I, I like everybody's products. I think they all work great and they all excel in some areas better than others, but they all have their their pros and cons.
0: Oh yeah. Um, yeah, no, You brought up a very good point, Um, and I don't know how many people actually really know this, but Pitbull does manufacture their scale tires for the crawlers. It's not outsourced through a different company; Um, it's actually them making it themselves, which is pretty cool. Um, So yeah, that's you know, and and I'm also with you on that. I try to never run the same tire twice, but it gets kind of hard when there's only so many that you know work really well and you're like on build 10 and you're like, all right, I got to recycle something.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, and actually the tires that are on my SSD truck, the tires and inserts are recycled off of a Jeep that I built way back when. Um, Yep. But what I find that I have a tendency to do is if I've got one set of tires that I know works really well at a certain spot, that, you know, I only have one set of those tires, I'm going to throw those tires on whatever truck I plan to bring out there that day. Um, you know, and, and you know, just because they're on one build doesn't mean I can't take them off and throw them on something else. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no,
0: you got a good point there. Um, I, maybe I'm just too lazy. Because once I usually have, like, a wheel... Combo for whatever I'm building. I usually don't want to strip it apart so I usually just One and done until I actually take it apart or something
1: Yeah, for sure, and I mean that's the thing with crawlers compared to other RC cars In some cases it's a little more complicated than just unscrewing a an M4 lock nut You know you have to take a scale hub off or you have to unscrew a cap or Unbolt the bolts from the hub in order to get the wheel off the axle you know, so sometimes it's, it's not convenient. Um, <laughs> and I definitely, I don't remove the tires off of those cars.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: but, you know, lately, the, the car that I've been driving the most is a BPC uh, Gen 6 chassis um, that has six uh, 4.19s on it. It's, uh, it's got a Dodge Ram body on it. Um, and it you know it's kind of a comp truck, you know um, mm-hmm. i I've been putting a lot of miles on that, and the Ot six tires work really, really well on it, whether it's wet or dry. Um, you know, but when I'm going pure scale, you know i'm gonna I'm definitely gonna stick with a BFg or a, or a pit tire.
0: Right on. Um, your favorite motor size, and this could be brushless, this could be brushed, or it could be both, um, but it's your favorite motor size.
1: Uh, you know, um, I personally, I, I really like the Slate motors. They're a little bit shorter can, the Castle 1406. Um, they're a great motor, but personally, I prefer the grunt of a full-size 540 can. And, you know, Castle, they only make the 3,800 KB in that full-size can. You know, I should say I like the bigger can because of the bigger rotor. They make more torque and just more overall power. They're a little, little more efficient. Uh-huh. Uh, and because Castle doesn't make a 540 that suits my needs, uh, I've been running the Brood Vigor 540s in three trucks now, and they're really, really good. Uh, you know, super torquey, super smooth, uh, waterproof, you know, they're all the same bells and whistles as everybody else's motors, um, but the torque and efficiency of a 540, um, that's kind of what tickles my fancy. <laughs> uh, you know, and there's nothing wrong with with the you know, the 1406 can or shorty or stubby size cans, if they work for your setup, they're awesome. Um, you know, and, and I'm actually, I've, I've never really done a brushed motor crawler. Uh, you know, I did brushed motors back when I had my, my first, to me, a frog back in like 1984. And I've had some brushed motors in my later years as well. And I like the, the ease of use of a brushless motor. So, you know, I will, I will, you know, I will be honest in that I've never run a brushed motor in a crawler, so I I can't compare those, Um, but, you know, for me, it's just, it's too easy to just not worry about it, you know, not not worry about a a worn out motor or, you know, if a a brush is going to hang up or... You know, if I'm if if I've got it timed wrong or if it's running the right direction or not, you know. Um, that being said, I know that they are supposed to be the smoothest combo out there, and I am currently building a truck with a brushed brood motor. Um, that is, uh, I've been told that it's going to impress the hell out of me, but I don't know yet. So.
0: Right on. Um, your. F- Favorite body you wish was available in scale?
1: Oh, man. You know, I'm a Mopar guy. I've always been a Chrysler fanboy. <laughs> um, I would have to say that I wish there was just more Dodge bodies in general. I don't care which one it is. <laughs> more um, Dodge bodies, period.
3: Neon, um, it doesn't matter. Uh, You know what,
1: I'd I'd put a neon on my drag car, yeah, all day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I would prefer, you know, a 70 Challenger, or even better, a 69 Barracuda, or a 68 Dart, you know, Duster, whatever, I I don't care, I'm not picky. Um, But I'd run a neon.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome.
0: Awesome answer.
1: I'd have to draw the line at the PT Cruiser, though. (laughs) The (laughs) PT Cruiser?
3: Oh, come on. The poop tooth is a classic. <laughs>
0: um, if you were... Which I know this is going to be a weird question, but if you were standing in a hobby shop right now and you were going to purchase your next scale crawler, what would it be?
3: Where Man. would you buy it at, too?
0: Yeah, we would like to know where you'd buy it at.
3: Where do you shop, <laughs> <laughs> where do you shop for RC stuff? <laughs>
1: That's a bit of a loaded question, right? <laughs> uh, you know hard for me um i would have to say right now the kit that impresses me the most is the ssd trail king um as a builder uh i hate all the leftover parts that i've got when i'm done building a truck um you know the wheels and tires that i'll never use the body that i'll never use um, you know, I've got two axial Cherokee bodies, the gray ones from the scx 102 ready to run, the OG, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I've got two of those sitting in here that I'm just waiting to find someone that I can give it to. <laughs> uh, you know, um, but I, I, I would have to say the Trail King because of the quality of the product, um, the fact that it gives me the freedom to build whatever I want, and the scale detail that this truck delivers is above and beyond anything else that's readily available in the states. Um, you know, there are some, some pretty rad trucks that are available overseas that have you know scale engines and other things in them. But where I think they fall short is in their level of quality. Um, you know, the quality of the steel, the quality of the aluminum. Um, you know, a lot of times those cars end up being subpar and. The nice thing about the SSD is it's top shelf across the board. Um, All hardened steel gears throughout the entire car. Uh, Steel center drive shafts. Um, You know, CNC machine knuckles and C-hubs. The Pro 44 style axle is brilliant, the way it works and the way it goes together. Um, You know, it's got titanium links. It's got the SSD upgrade shocks on it. you know, it's it's basically a kit that you can buy, and you don't need to buy any upgrade parts for the truck. Um, you know, if you want to comp with it, if you want to take it out and play, hold my beer and watch this. Um, you know, it'll it'll take it. Um, you know, granted, I mean, you're you'll probably break something eventually, but overall. Um, this truck delivers a level of durability and quality and scale detail that is unmatched. Um, as far as where I would buy it, you know, um, you know, I'm different than most people in that A-Main Hobbies is my local hobby shop. Before I worked at A-Main, I was a customer of A-Main. And I've been a customer for years. Um, you know, it... I always tell people, support your local hobby shop if that's what you want to do. Um, you know, Some people don't have the luxury of having a local hobby shop, or their closest hobby shop is over an hour away. And they get there, and what they were hoping to get either isn't the right thing, or they don't have it in stock. And you know, So sometimes it's easier to just order from an online shop. Um, but always support your local hobby shop, because the local hobby shop is what keeps this industry moving. Yep,
3: And that is a cool thing about A-Main, too, is that you guys, you know, there, there's a lot of, at least here, there's a lot of local hobby shops that blame their uh, lack of business on the mail order stuff and, you know, on, with online stores. And that's one thing that's kind of cool, you know, that you and I have talked about in the past is that you guys are all for the mom and pop shops out there and you actually sell to them.
1: Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, we we distribute. Um, you know, we distribute a pretty good chunk of brands. Um, and, you know, we do everything in our power to prop up the mom and pop shops. And it's funny because, you know, Kendall Bennett, the guy that owns A-Main Hobbies, he started it with his wife, Kelly, in their garage and grew A-Main into what you know it as today. Um, but Kendall's longtime belief is that the new hobbyist, they don't see a product on YouTube or on an internet message board or on Facebook and say, oh gosh, I've got to have that. The biggest impact comes from when they see that car in use or model, airplane, helicopter, whatever it is. They see it actually doing its thing. And that's what impresses them. And if they don't have a local hobby shop to walk into and buy that first product, then they're never going to get one, or the chances are are reduced dramatically. So to have a local mom and pop hobby shop that that person can go to, hopefully they get the service that they deserve, and hopefully they're taken care of post-sale. You know, if you don't have that, the hobby is gradually going to wither up and suffer.
3: Yeah, true. Yep. Very true.
0: And I'll ask the last question, even though I know the second half of our previous question was made up by our co-host, but because um, we've never asked that in the past. Um your favorite hobby shop would be?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, a main hobby. <laughs> no, um, yeah. but to be fair, um, there's actually there's a hobby shop in Sacramento uh, called RC Country. And yep. that place, it, when I, the first time I walked in there, it reminded me of the first hobby shop I went to when I was a little kid. Uh, you know, it, I grew up in Southern California, and so the hobby industry was, was pretty big down there. Um, and I had a local hobby shop that was just insane. They, you know, all the airplanes hanging from the ceiling and, you know, rows of model kits and RC cars. I remember, you know, seeing the, the Tamiya Midnight Pumpkin and the Blackfoot and all these old school Tamiya kits. and keo shows and rc can just i mean you name it they had it um, you know and rc country is the closest thing to that that i have seen since i have been involved in the hobby as an adult and there's actually you know they, they've got a great staff um, knowledgeable staff which is huge uh... and they're just great people you know and they're they're in the hobby for the love of the hobby and, and that's what's most important about any local hobby shop. Um, you know they've got to be in it for the love of the hobby in order to be able to deal with the highs and lows.
3: True. Yeah, very true. Yep.
1: All right,
0: well, that pretty much wraps up our uh, questionnaire so our listeners can uh, get to know you better. Um, I know there was a couple things we touched base on that I know I would like to ask a couple on. Um or get your feedback on or ramble on about um, Jay, did you have anything you wanted to add?
3: uh no, uh-uh. I just I have some questions for later when we can come back to all that.
0: okay, um the one thing that you touched on was the whole um every rig is special, and they all, you know, hold a special meaning. Um, I always find it funny, because I have people that will ask me every once in a while, hey, would you sell this build, or hey, how much for this build, and this, that, and the other? And I always go, it's not for sale. It's not for sale. And, And I've had some kind of, I guess, high offers on certain rigs, and I still say they're not for sale. And then... You get somebody like Michelle who, you know, tells me, Why don't you just sell it? You can always build another one. And I go, <laughs> You don't you, you don't get it. There's there it's not that simple. So no. the fact that you said it, I just want to hear your um, outlook on that whole statement and that whole situation.
1: You know it's one thing to buy a ready to run kit and add upgrade parts over time you know and and that's how most people start that's how my first build if you would call it a build that's how it was done you know i i pieced it together as i could afford it and and kinda went from there but then once i had a truck to drive or trucks you know i started thinking outside the box like you know if i was building a one-to-one how would i do it well i'd start from the frame up and so I'll start by, you know, picking my rails and my skid and kind of get an idea of what I want to go with and, you know, what body I want to build off of and and just kind of start from the the ground up. And what I find is that things that I think will work don't necessarily work. And because I'm, you know, buying parts for whatever build on each paycheck or, or, you know, when money allows, um you know I sometimes I take one step forward and two steps back so mm-hmm. I'm I I'm I'm presented with a challenge that I have to kinda of re-engineer things and and do things differently than I you know either the way they're intended to be done or the way I expected I would do them and you know so I you know I'm not the type of person that will build a truck in a weekend I take my time and I start from scratch, and by the time I'm done, it could be two months later. And, you know, I've had some builds that take two weeks. I've had other trucks that are still sitting on the shelf waiting to be finished (laughs) because, you know, either I'm, you know, maybe I get a little burned out on it, I'm going to come back to it, or I'm trying to solve a problem or whatever. But, you know, it's almost... Like a battle, if you will, Um, you know, where I'm, I'm going ten rounds with this thing, and I'm gonna beat it. And once I beat it, I'm gonna lock it up in a cage, and I'm never gonna let it go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, I, I think that's the biggest reason for me why I get attached to them is, is, you know, because of the challenge they present, and what I learn from it, and the overall finished product. Um, you know, I can honestly say that there isn't a truck that I've built myself that I don't look at and think, this truck, I love it. You know, I love everything about it. Because, you know, I've started from the bottom and worked up and picked every part I wanted. Um, you know, every component is chosen for a reason. And, you know, they they just, you know, they, they almost have their own their own personality, in a way. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, totally.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, which is basically what always... My answer's always been, uh, yeah, I could probably always replicate, um, you know, another build or build it again or whatever, but it's still never going to be the same as that first time when you did it because, you know, that first time, like you said, was when you were trying to figure it all out and how to make it all work, so now that you're just copying, it's kind of like, eh, it's not really, it's not really there, so um, that's something that really, like, when you said it, that really, you know, resonated with me, because that's something that I feel, um, because, you know, no two custom builds are ever the same.
1: Exactly, exactly. Even if you try it, I mean, you might be able to get it close, but, you know, when you're cutting rails and, you know, making custom links and stuff like that, I mean, it's, It's never, never identical, you know, kind of like two snowflakes. You know, they might be essentially the same, but they're not the same.
0: Exactly. Um, Yeah, because I know I have a rig that's pretty much been torn down to a slider form, and I still can't bring myself – I've said it over and over again, maybe I should just sell this, but I just can't do it because it's like the amount of time I had building that that Truggy cage, it's like – I just don't think I could do it. So it just sits. Even though it probably could be somewhere on the trail, somebody could be enjoying it, I still just have a hard time saying, yep, it's going to go. Here you go. Yep,
1: yep, yep. Now what I like to do, you know, if if someone, if I know someone that is building and I like them, um, you know, I, I have a tendency to be pretty generous and you know, all sell things at dramatically reduced costs. Um, because I am kind of in a fortunate position where, you know, I get an employee discount that's very generous. Um, because of my role at Amain, um, I have the opportunity to test a lot of product, and I get a lot of samples. And, you know, so any of that type of stuff that I'm given for free, if a friend of mine who's building something needs it, I'll give it to them. Um, if, if they want something that maybe I'm not using, I might sell it to them. Um, but I do that so that they can build their own car and get that experience and build that quote-unquote relationship with their model. And you know, if I can, if I can be the catalyst that helps ignite that fire, I'll, I'll, I'll be the match, you know?
0: Yeah. No, I definitely hear you on that one. Um, which I guess kind of can lead into, like, a second part question, um, or it really has nothing to do with the first one, but what um, for anybody that's listening who doesn't know, what exactly is your role at A-Main Hobbies?
1: Ah, man, you know, um, I wear a few different hats. Um, I am heavily involved in the copyright and purchasing divisions. So I do a lot of product descriptions that you see on the website. Um, I deal with writing instruction manuals for ProTech products. Um, I have done some advertising uh, copy, um, which, copy, if I say copy, it's just a bad habit, that's like words, text, you know, the, oh, the marketing, okay. right. marketing, tool, if you will, so that's, that's referred to as copy in the industry, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's actually what I started out doing was writing product descriptions, um, and then, as I started to get into crawling, um, I kind of took on a greater role as a purchasing manager, so I you know kind of seek out brands that I think we could do well with and work out some kind of arrangement with the manufacturer and bring their products in and um, you know i I've only been doing that for about three years now, but um, I've kind of. I've been the one behind bringing on brands like Scale by Chris, and Exclusive RC, and Night Customs, and uh, who else have I brought in, Power Shift RC, um, um, who are some of the other ones, uh, Vader Products, Brood Motors, uh, CBE back when we sold his stuff. Um, you know, they're, they're just basically, I mean, any of the smaller, scalar brands that you see at A-Main, um, I'm kind of responsible for that. And oh, okay. Yeah, so um, then some of the other things I do, um, I do category management. So, like the structure of the category, um, almost like the user experience, user interface type stuff. Um, I don't do the programming, but I do uh, kind of organize things. Um, sometimes things aren't always organized like they should be, but there's reasons for that and I don't want to get into it. But <laughs> uh, um, and then something else that I am pretty heavily involved in is the ProTech division. Um, I help out bringing in new products. I help out testing products. Um, you know, I've, not, I, I've been, I was heavily involved with like the 370TBL servo. Um, the 3600 light, shorty 3S pack. That was actually my idea. Uh, oh, I wow. wanted one. I wanted one for myself, so I took two of our our race shorty packs, a hard case pack. I busted open the hard case, unsoldered the cells, and soldered them all back together, and made the first one. Um, you know, and that pack has kind of uh, it. It really changed things for. People because you had runtime comparable to the larger 5000 packs, um, way more runtime than you could get with a 2200 3S pack, but with only a slight weight penalty compared to a 2200, and you had over 1000 milliamps more capacity and more voltage, so you had more power, more punch, um, just everything about the battery um, from the form and the and the power delivery was superior to everything else out there. And since then, Reedy now makes a 3S shorty pack. Uh, Jen Zase just recently released a 3S shorty pack. Um, and there's a couple others I've seen from kind of smaller name companies. Um, but I can, I can say with all confidence <laughs> that I was the first one to do it, <laughs> and everybody else who's done it has copied me.
3: <laughs> That's pretty cool. Did you save the, that first one that you made?
1: No, um, I actually used them for testing purposes, so I intentionally abused them and destroyed them and uh, gave them a saltwater bath and tossed them in the trash.
2: Oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I have a question because, see, now this is somebody that ask like, when I ask this, it's because I, like, legitimately have no clue about, I guess the whole battery technology, when it, you know, other than the fact that, okay, it's a 3S LiPo, it's this size, that many, you know, uh, the runtime, the you know, MAH, all that stuff. Like, that's basically like where I draw the line. Um, I see these other companies, which I don't know if you've ever used any of it, but um, like Max Amps, um, I've always tried to figure out what the main difference is, like what makes certain batteries that much better than other ones. And after listening to that story, about the 3S Shorty pack, it kind of got me thinking well so was that like a higher you know C rating or?
1: Well uh, the C rating helped um, but a big part of it is the graphene technology in the cell okay um, you know it's the actual chemical structure of the materials inside the little foil packets you see uh, okay so all batteries are not created equal um, Yeah. You know, from the raw materials to the way they're put together, um, to the types of wire and connector that are used on them, all of those things make a difference. Um, but you know, C rating is kind of a kind of a touchy subject. Um, you know, it it's, it is true that a lot of the C ratings you see on batteries, you know, it's a marketing gimmick.
0: Got gotcha, you uh, because. Yeah, because
1: though I was just gonna say
0: because that's kind of like what I was trying to understand because um, you know I'm you know I'm kind of friends with Tim Smith and I know he's a big Max Amps ambassador slash I don't know if he's got his hand in the company or not but um, he's always running Max Amps and everything's always Max Amps and when I've looked at him I'm like I don't honestly like I know they're a pricier battery I'm just like I really don't understand what would make it much better than some of the other ones that I'm using currently?
1: Yes, yeah, understood. Well, from, from the way I understand it, um, I've heard claims that max amps are actually assembled here in the States. And, you know, that's awesome, if that's true. I don't know if it's true or not. Um, I personally don't have any experience with those batteries, but I've heard okay. nothing but great things about them. So I'm going to assume that they're using a high-quality cell um and i'm going to assume that they know what they're doing when it comes to matching cells, you know uh you know getting everything you know making sure that that all the components they're using to assemble that pack are top shelf materials and kind of match to each other, and you know everything's going to play well together, so to speak um and and a big problem with lipos in general is that you know, really, there's only, like, maybe three or four factories that build reputable, high-quality cells. Everybody else is either making questionable products because there are a lot of fly-by-night companies over in you know, overseas. I don't want to name any countries specifically. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there are overseas companies that they don't care if they burn your house down. You know, they're, they're just trying to make a buck. And yep. so they'll sell anything. Um, and you, you have to be real careful with your source. Um, and that being said, because there are only three or four factories that actually make their own cells and assemble their own batteries, um, there are a lot of batteries that you'll see different labels on but they're just they're the same thing essentially, just with a different sticker on it, yeah. um, you know. But but where I feel and most other people I think would agree, um, where the thing that I feel is most important is the after-sales service. You know, if you get that battery, and under normal operating conditions it fails, how how are you going to be taken care of by the company? Um, you know, I know, you know, there is something to be said about people that maybe aren't educated on lipo care and handling. And so, you know, they damage the batteries unknowingly. Sometimes it's ignorance. Sometimes it's just, uh, you know, some, sometimes it's irresponsibility. Um, you know, and if you damage that pack and you're honest about it, is that company going to help you out? You know, are they going to make it right and get you going again? And I can honestly say that in 80%, maybe 90% of the cases that I know of, where we've taken batteries in return, um, you know, it, it's usually a user error issue, regardless of the brand of battery. Um, you know, either they were over discharged because they had their low voltage cutoff set too low or maybe they had it set on NIM mode, you know, their ESC, they didn't move the plugs around, and they discharged the battery down to zero, and then it's dead, you know. Um, maybe they left them sitting with a full charge for too long. Um, you know, It's really important that you storage charge your batteries after use, whether, they're, whether they've got too much voltage in them or not enough voltage in them. It's, it's a best practice to... Then the 20 minutes, plug that battery into your charger, go over to storage mode, and storage charge that battery. Because what it's going to do is prevent the battery from building up internal resistance, which is then going to create heat, which will then you know, reduce efficiency and increase resistance, and cause the pack to puff. Um, you know, and the same thing, you know, you'll, you'll puff a pack If you over discharge it, and I mean you could do it once and puff one cell or kill one cell, and you know it's it's easy to do, but with some real basic maintenance and you know, like I say, best practices, you know, build a routine to where when you get back from your trail run or your day at the track, um, you know, put the battery on the charger and just put it on a storage charge, Um, you know, set your low voltage cutoff with some headroom there a lot of ESCs come from the factory at 3 volts. And that pisses me off. Because with a 3-cell battery, you know the, the ESC is going to look for that specific amount of voltage that you give it. So if you've got it set to 3 volts per cell, the ESC is looking for 9 volts before it's going to shut itself off. Well, say one cell in that pack is a little bit weaker than the other two and over the course of that discharge it gets pulled down to 2.8 volts while cell 2 is at 3 volts and cell 3 is at 3.2 volts well the ESC sees that as 9 volts, right? so it, anytime you, sh- you use that low 3.0 volt cutoff you run that risk of pulling one cell too low and in some cases even if you have it set to 3.2 it'll still pull it too low um, So Something I like to do is I set my, my, all my ESCs to 3.4, 3.5, 3.6, whatever. Um, because I find that that little bit of extra runtime that I might get out of it, you know, it's not necessarily worth the risk of trashing the battery. Um, you know, and even though I pay for my stuff and sometimes I get it for free, uh, I still treat every battery like I'm paying for it. And, you know, I, I, it's just a, a habit that I developed because I didn't want to burn my house down.
2: <laughs> that, yeah. you
1: know, when I, when I get home, I unload my stuff, plug in my charger and balance charge my batteries or, or storage charge my batteries. Um, and another mistake people make is they don't always balance charge their batteries. Um, you know when you just do the fast charge the battery isn't or the charger isn't looking for the individual voltage of each cell and it'll charge that battery to 8.4 volts and maybe you maybe one of the cells is bad and so it won't take any voltage higher than 4.1 per cell or 4.1 volts but the other cell is getting charged up to like 4.5 volts and it, it just it creates an imbalance that overcharges a cell and we all know that overcharging a lipo battery is like one of the worst things you can do um, and I've seen countless instances where people didn't even know their charger had a balanced charge mode oh, you know wow. you just plug the battery in and hit start you know <laughs> and uh, you know, like I say, some of it is ignorance, some of it is irresponsibility, um, and in some cases it's, you know, maybe some of the fault lies on where they sourced their their charger or their battery from, you know, that they weren't educated about it. And so that's something that I always push on people that I know, and even if they don't want to hear it, I'm still going to tell you, (laughs) you know, that, you know, take care of your batteries and they'll last a long time and, and the risk is, you know, it's almost eliminated if you just take care of your batteries.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I know we've always – well, I know I've always said in the past I'm not the biggest uh, – what is it? Uh, battery uh,
3: – Aficionado.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm more of your charge them all the night before, run them, and then I usually just throw them back in the ammo can, and uh, they <laughs> sit until, they sit until the next one, whether or not they were used.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, see, and, and that's the thing. Leaving a battery fully charged, it it causes the the chemicals inside the cells to crystallize, which ends up creating resistance. Like I say, the resistance creates heat, and that mm-hmm. heat is what you know, one of the things that causes the pack to puff, um, there's an, a chemical reaction going on inside where it gives off a gas, and so that's what makes the cells swell. And you know, the the ammo can thing is something that you know I'm guilty of it myself. You know, um, but you know, ammo cans have a you know a, a sense of danger to them in themselves in that they're sealed. And so, if people are using ammo cans and not venting those ammo cans, uh, if you have a battery go up in that can, it, you're basically creating a bomb. Um, you know, all that pressure is going to build up inside the can, and if it doesn't vent somehow, the can's going to pop. And so, I've there's a, a product that i that we've actually been selling at A-Main for a while. Uh, it's called the Bat Safe. That um, it's rated up to a 6S 5000 battery. Um, it will contain the fire and filter the smoke. And basically, it, it's a, a, a container that if you do have a fire in the container, you can pick it up and take it outside. And all it's going to emit is white smoke that you can breathe. There's very little odor left behind. Um, you know, and I know this because we tested them when we got them. We, we took a, a 6S pack, hooked it up to an adjustable voltage power supply, cranked it up to like 30 volts, and stood wow. back and waited waited till it popped. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and it did. And when it started, you know, when we saw the smoke start coming out of the filter, I walked up to it and I picked it up just to see if the claims of the manufacturer were in fact true. And... It, I mean, it was the same temperature as the area around us. Um, you know, it, it's and it, it's products like that that really excite me because they're unique. Um, you know, and they they innovate and they push the hobby to another level.
3: Oh, that nice. is pretty cool. Those are neat. Dude. I've yeah. got a like metal, uh, well, I've got an ammo can, but then I have a metal container that I want to say it was probably a first aid kit or something. But I was gonna try and use that to store stuff a little bit more. I I don't really trust the lipo bags, so you uh, kind of raised an important issue, and that's venting them. And none of the stuff I've got's vented, so gonna have uh, to take care of that.
1: Yeah, you should, and yeah. you know, and the other thing is when you do vent it make sure when you're storing that can somewhere, make sure it's not in an area where the fire that comes out of those holes isn't going to catch something else on fire. Yeah, right?
3: Good point. Uh,
1: so if you vent it on the side and then you take and put that side up against your, you know, you know, your plastic box that you put all the rest of your stuff in when you're going somewhere, you know, if that thing goes up, it's going to catch that box on fire and end up, you know, causing a chain reaction
3: you're making me yep. paranoid now.
1: Well, that no
0: that is good to know. Um I be, like I said I got a handful of uh, ammo cans and you know you think because you're going with those with the seal that you're you know going to basically smother the fire. Um, at least that's like your general you know thought process when you think of putting your batteries in an ammo can. Um, that's good to know. Might have to make a um, some sort of a venting system for the ammo cans or just drill a couple holes in them but something where it can actually vent and not just create like a missile where once it goes the pressure is just going to shoot out there and you're going to launch a can across the room
1: exactly (laughs) Uh, you know and and actually you mentioned uh, the lipo bags Uh, yes like the batteries themselves all lipo bags are not created equal
3: I can see that
1: you've done the same testing on lipo bags and there are lipo bags that actually create a bigger hazard than oh,
2: great.
1: <laughs> just the battery itself. You know, it, it's almost like they're made out of flammable materials in some cases. <laughs> and, you know, and, and they say that the thought behind it is that it just gives you something that you can grab and throw it out the door. Well, what if you can't throw it out the door? You know, if you pick up something that's burning it, I I forget what a lipo fire burns out, but it's incredibly hot, more than a standard, like, campfire, Um, you know, you pick that thing up and you're going to get burned. I don't care. And if you can't throw it out a door, it's going to contaminate your house or your garage or your shop or wherever you're doing this at, you know, And, and so... You know, there's something to be said for, like, you know, the first rule of lipo safety is you never leave that battery unattended when it's charging. Um, And that's where most lipo fires take place, is during the charging process. And it's some type of a mistake made um, that causes the fire in the first place. But there have been some freak instances where a battery just kind of spontaneously combusts um, because it gets some type of internal short. and you know when when that happens you need to be prepared for it um... or I should say if that happens <laughs> Yeah. Uh, cause I mean in, in, in all honesty you know like I say I, I've punished batteries intentionally just to see what the breaking point is you know what should you do and what shouldn't you do and and all of the time that I've been playing with lipos I've never had a fire <laughs> And yeah. or at least not one that wasn't intentionally started. <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, you know, they when when used safely and maintained properly, a lipo battery should be just fine.
3: I know probably the number one thing that I see when it comes to fires, you know, because we we've been around our fair share of them at the track and stuff and it i think the number one mistake i see people making is they'll charge a lipo on a balanced charge but they're in a hurry so they crank the amperage way up and those balance leads are what gets super super hot and ends up shorting and starting to fire at least what i've seen in the past
1: yep. i've seen that before um or i shouldn't say seen it i've heard of it um you know they uh the, pr- the charging practices that are used by racers can be very risky. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, they're charging at higher amp rates than uh, what are recommended. They're discharging at really high amp rates. And, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is what they're doing to the battery, they're essentially getting the battery hot. Yeah. Because the warmer the batteries are, the less resistance they have. And what they don't realize is that you can achieve the same end result by just, you know, getting a battery warmer or maybe a, a heating blanket that has an adjustable rheostat on it that you can turn the the temperature up and down on. Right? We'll mm-hmm. figure out what it takes to get that thing to 100 degrees, and put that battery in there for five minutes before your race. And it will achieve the same end result as charging at 40 amps or 50 amps or whatever they do. You know, um, you know, it's all about the heat.
3: Interesting. That's really yeah. interesting. I, I've We've, always just been so paranoid. Like, I never charge over 10 amps. You know, like, that's the max that I leave it at. And usually if I do that, I'm not balancing it either. But, I mean, it's, I don't know, it, it's scary. We've seen some crazy stuff go down at races.
1: Yeah, yeah. See, and again, you know, you should always be balanced charging. Always. Yeah. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Always balance charge your stuff. And, you know, you'll see something, you know, in a lot of, you know, battery descriptions um, where it talks about charge rates. And most batteries claim a maximum of 2C charge rate. And, And maybe I should start with explaining what that C rating on charge is. Um, you know it, the the easiest way to explain it is a 1C charge rate. If you take a 5,000 milliamp battery and starting on the first number, move one decimal to the right, that makes it 5.000, right? So mm-hmm. that's five. So five amps. Um, and a 2C is doubling that. So uh, 2C charge rate for that 5,000 milliamp battery would be 10 amps.
3: Gotcha. So
1: some guys go higher than that because of, you know, like I say, it gets the, the batteries a little warm, so they, it reduces resistance and, and they flow better. Um, but for battery longevity and battery life in general, a 1C charge rate is what you should be doing. Um, You know, yeah, some batteries can handle up to a 5C rate, but in every instance, you know, it reduces the cycle life of the battery. So, you know, in some I, I don't have an exact number, but if you always charged a battery at 5C, you know, there's a potential that you could reduce that battery's life by half. So, you know, a battery that, say, you could get 200 cycles out of, you know, you're going to cut it down to 100. In some cases, people don't care because 100, you know, they're not going to get 100 cycles out of that battery before they replace it with the latest, greatest thing anyway. So they're not too worried about it. But, right. you know, crawlers, and myself included, you know, I... I want to get as much bang for my buck as possible. So you know, even though it's a little inconvenient and it takes a little bit longer for that battery to charge, I always charge at one seat. And I've got a 3,600 pack <laughs> that I started running about four months before Axial Fest 2017. And I've still got that battery, and I still use that battery to this day. It's a little puffy. But, you know, the thing's probably got 300 cycles on it, um, you know, and a lot of that is because I've, I've got strict practices that I follow. Right. Um, you know, I, I treat my batteries like I treat my firearms, you know. There's, there's set rules, and I follow them.
3: No, that's really good. That's definitely good advice. See how we were talking about how the conversation just kind of goes wherever it's going to go. We ended up doing like a bunch of like really useful information about batteries. You know, it's just funny how that works.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I apologize if I'm rambling. No, no,
3: dude, no, this is, this is great. It's all good, important information that people need to know. So no, I think that's awesome.
0: Yeah, and like I said earlier, like, us being, or well, myself not being a big battery uh, aficionado, um, hearing a lot of this is, you know, good knowledge um, that I should probably take into account. Um, I mean, I've already done the other safe practice of, like, every time I always charge my batteries, I throw them on, like, the tile floor. So if for some reason they were to go up, they're on something that's not flammable versus, like, putting them on your coffee table where, you know, it's made out of wood and it can just go up in a big ball of flames.
1: Yep, yep, yep. But, you know, it's funny, um, I don't know if you know Cody Eisenbart at CBE, Um, great guy. Well, last year, I forget what event it was, but he was charging all his batteries, getting prepared for, I think it might have been Ultimate Scale Truck Expo or something, I, I forget what it was, but point of the story is that here's this guy that's been doing RC for years and years and years and years and he had all his batteries charging, he had it in an ammo can, the actual one that was charging in an ammo can with the lid open and all of the batteries that he had charged prior were in the ammo can and then all of his uncharged batteries were sitting on his workbench getting ready to be charged. Well he stepped outside to do something and he said he could smell smoke, and he just instantly went, oh, no. Runs into the garage, and his garage is on fire. So oh,
3: my God.
1: not exactly sure what happened, but what he thinks happened is one of or the battery that he was charging ended up going up, and it caught another battery in the box on fire. It knocked over the ammo box. Whoa. And, and actually, no, you know what? The, the ammo box was sitting on, like, a plastic container or something like that. And it melted the container, the box fell over, and the fire spread. And that fire is a big part of the reason why we don't sell CDE anymore. Because it basically shut his business down for... Jeez, it's, it's been a while now. I don't know exactly how long, but... Uh, He's just gotten to the point where he's up and running and starting to make new products and offer them up to people again. And, you know, I'm looking forward to the day that he emails me and says, hey, I'm ready to go so that I can bring his stuff back in, you know. Dude,
2: Um,
3: that's gnarly.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, and he's lucky, you know, um, because it could have been a lot worse. You know, as it is, he just lost, I, I think he lost some cars. Um, And he had to do some repairs, obviously, to his workbench and, I think, some sheetrock and some other stuff, uh, you know, smoke damage type of repairs. Um, But it could have been a lot worse, you know. Um, And, you know, I I don't know if you guys know who Gil Losey Jr. is. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's a legend from the industry. He is Losey of the Losey family. Um, Great guy. I've hung out with him a couple times. Um, He had a lipo fire in his garage and it did a lot of damage (laughs) Um, he lost a lot of stuff in that fire Um, you know and so I mean even someone like Gil who has been in this industry for 40 plus years you know um, and and in his case I think the battery was to blame Um, you know there, there was it had some kind of internal short or something. Um, it was not a Protect battery, mind you.
3: <laughs> now he's the he was he the skateboarder of the Losey family also.
1: No, that was Gil's brother, Alan. Alan okay. Lose, He was a professional skateboarder, and actually, uh, he was sponsored by a company called Veriflex. I don't know. If oh, I remember them. That. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, the Veriflex skateboard company was owned by the Losey family
3: okay that's what it was yeah
1: so and actually Losi also made yo-yos i don't know if you're aware of that I, um, yep
3: I, I remember that too wow and
1: this, they make their yo-yos that are no longer in production are still regarded as some of the best yo-yos that have ever been made and uh you know they're still used in competitions um you know all, you see all the kids walking the dog and doing all those silly yo-yo tricks Well, a lot of those guys use low yo-yos um Wow. And yeah, the Losi family—they're—they're uh, they're some pretty brilliant people.
3: Yeah, I guess man, he probably lost some pretty irreplaceable items. I would think in that fire—that's terrible. He
1: did, he did. Um, you know. I, I just think know he knowing might... who they
3: are. I mean, it was probably I had some he... amazing stuff.
1: Well, I mean, Gil Losi is a world champion—you know, winner. He—he's—he won. I think the the first or second world championships in some class, I forget. Um, and I think he might have even had a on-road world championship also. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> but I believe, now don't quote me on this, but I think he might have lost a couple of his cars. Like his uh, actual world championship cars in that fire. That um, would hurt. Yeah, yeah. You
3: know. Wow. God, what a shame. Scary stuff. Oh, well, yeah.
0: like. Like, I mean, I'm not going to get into too many, like, specifics of, like, what was what, but that was, like, a story I know of a company that was trying to sell certain batteries, and they had a couple incidences with those batteries, so they had to terminate buying them because they, they were having too many incidences, and they were like, we can't have our customers buying this stuff and burning their houses down.
1: Yep. Yep. Well, yeah, it, it's funny because, you know, we get solicited by different suppliers and manufacturers, and we had an instance where someone sent us some batteries, and our main battery tech, uh, he charged a bunch of them up, and we have a we have a battery tester on site that we hook them up and, you know, check discharge graphs and voltage curves and all kinds of stuff on them, and uh, <clears throat> he'd done a few of the batteries, but there were a couple that he wasn't able to test, so they sat overnight fully charged. And one of those batteries decided it wanted to catch fire. Oh, damn. <laughs> so the owner and the, the CFO, you know, they get called down to the warehouse at like 2 or 3 in the morning because oh, there's a fire. God. And luckily, the battery fell off of the workbench that it was on, and fell onto the carpet, and the carpet that was used was a non-flammable carpet. And so, other than a little bit of smoke damage, the only real damage was about a 12-inch square that was taken out of the carpet. And they have intentionally not replaced that as a reminder to everybody. Yeah. This is what could happen, you know? And, you know, so so follow the rules.
2: <laughs> oh, Yeah.
3: Now, you were talking about the, and this is a conversation that we've had, but I thought it was super interesting, and so I was wondering if we could kind of share some of it with people. You were pretty instrumental in that 370TBL ProTech servo, which is like my favorite servo ever that thing's just amazing now when we had talked you were telling me about how you guys actually do all that testing and stuff there in house like you have a servo dyno and whatnot, and you guys actually you know you go through and put stuff through it's paces before you release it to the public and so I was wondering if you wanted to touch on some of that
1: yeah you know I mean without getting too specific on on what we use yeah we do have a real dyno uh, that your servo mounts into it, and the main output shaft of your servo locks into this, you know, another piece that that puts a true torque test on your servo. It's not just a fishing scale. Right. And and I've seen that a lot of people use that and say, oh, this servo makes 800 ounces of torque. do you know, <laughs> see, look at my fishing scale. Like, well, okay, you know. But there's more to it than just, you know, how much it can pull. Um, you know not only is the fishing scale not accurate but it's just not a good stress test um, because it, it doesn't do well for reading stall torque which is at what point does the servo what, at what point is it not able to hold that position any longer um, and you know there are two different types of torque and servo companies will often Use what's called um, dynamic torque, which you know that's if if you were to take your steering wheel and just bang it to one side real fast, so that servo arm just kind of throws really really hard and fast, um, and then you let it go. That's that's your dynamic torque, and those numbers are always higher than your holding torque or your stall torque. Um, and if you don't have a, a system similar to what we have, you can't measure it. Um, and it's funny because what we found when we, you know, because Kendall, he, he's like a big kid, just like all of us. You know, he's a hardcore, <laughs> he, he flies, he's an amazing pilot, he is a fast racer. The guy is just, I mean, he's talented with a radio, no matter what kind of radio it is. Wow. And he's like a big kid, dude. And so, you know, he's got a new toy and he wants to play with it. So we pulled... Like the top-of-the-line servo from every brand on the market, and I'm not going to say who, but I will say that 95% of the companies out there, they overinflate their numbers, or they use dynamic torque as a torque reading just to try and and get some, you know, some hype built around their product. Right. And you know that's one reason why we list both numbers in most cases. You know, we, we tell you you know what the big number is that everybody wants to see, and then we tell you how much it's going to hold over time. Right. And you know the, the there are a couple of very reputable companies um, that their numbers are on the money, but there's a lot of guys out there that we we don't know how they get the numbers they just get on their servos. That's a
3: good diplomatic way of answering that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm
0: gonna. That means I'm gonna have to ask you. um, I have a couple questions that are for off the the podcast because there's a couple things I. Uh,
1: Well, I will say this: Uh, MKS makes a great servo. Um, Yes, they do. They are are a very high quality servo. Um, They don't overinflate things. Um, You know, they're great materials. They, you know. I've, I've, a couple of my friends at work are incredible helicopter pilots, and they all say that MKS servos are awesome. Um, you know, Futaba servos are awesome. High-tech servos are awesome. Um, you know, if I wasn't using ProTech, I would be using one of those three. Nice. Okay, that was that was
0: gonna be kind of like my question because I was just curious because that was one thing I've always noticed not to totally change you know like different brands and whatever. Um, that's one thing I've always noticed with MKS is they don't just advertise. Oh, this is the torque. They always have advertised this is the stall torque. So I, I was all I was just curious to say, hey, is that? you know, is that true? Because once you mentioned that, hey, they, you know, sometimes they'll post this number, which is inflated, I was like, well, it's funny that you say that because I said they've never actually just said, this is the torque. They say this is the stall torque. So I was just curious.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. no, uh, no, they, MKS makes a great servo.
2: Which is
1: accurate. They're very highly regarded in the helicopter world.
0: Well, um, that's where they... That's where they got their start, because uh, I've had numerous conversations with uh, Thomas Cook, and, um, yeah, they started out in flying, and then they made their way over to Surface, and, um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's one of those things, like, I stumbled across them back when CKRC was in business, and um, that's kind of how I got my start with them. Um, it was. And I'll be honest. I was nervous the first time I used one because I was like, I've never even heard of this company.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, you know, and I think that applies to any kind of upstart company, if you will. You know, it, like Reefs, for instance. You know, Reefs makes a great servo. Um, you know, they're pretty solid and he stands behind his his product. Um, but. You know, if you notice, he was around for quite a while before he was available at A-Main Hobbies, and that's because I know how things work in the servo market, and I didn't want to bring him in until he'd kind of been put through his paces, and, you know, I knew that the product he was, that we were going to be selling our customers was a quality product, and, you know, once he proved himself, I brought him in, and, you know, his, his stuff, you know, it works really, really well, and a lot of people like it.
3: That's cool. Yeah, I that's think actually, it's neat that you guys do that.
1: That's actually kind of funny,
0: because um, it was brought to my attention about two weeks ago um, on our 2 Chains um, YouTube. We I did a video um, basically all about the MKS servos that we use, and one of the comments was, yeah, I stumbled across them at A-Main, and, and I was thinking of buying one, and once I saw your video, that kind of solidified everything. I'm sitting there going, I did not even know Amain sold MKS. I thought they would push ProTech over anything else, so I was like, I that was news to me.
1: Oh, we 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 try to be your one-stop shop. You know, if, if you're looking for MKS, we want to have it for you. And we don't want to just have one option. We want to have all the options. Um, you know, and, and that's whether it's MKS or Reefs or F- Futaba. You know, and actually, you know... Uh, that new Futaba, or it's not new, but it's newer. It's like the 700 something or other. Uh, I've got a friend that tells me that's the best servo he's ever run. You know? Um, they're supposed to be incredible, but you pay for it, too. You know, I think yeah. it's like a, I think it's $200 or something like that. Um, yep. You know, and this guy was a helicopter pilot. So he had three cyclic servos and a tail servo. <laughs> so figure the retail cost of that you know, you're talking two, four, six, eight hundred bucks just in servos in this helicopter
0: well see, I had a similar conversation with Thomas and he said the same thing and the thing I didn't know about especially like helicopters and people who fly planes and stuff they are very particular about how many times they will run that servo before they yank them out and replace them oh yeah
1: Yeah, because everything has a service life, you know, and it's like these guys, like 3D pilots, guys that flip them and bang them around and everything, um, you know, they're really hard on their gear. And when you've got a helicopter that's running $800 worth of servos, imagine how much everything else costs. Yep. You know, (laughs) you're talking a, you know, $1,000 helicopter kit that you have to put a $400 motor in and four different servos and an ESC, and a BEC, because you can't just run those four servos off of the BEC and the ESC. (laughs) Too many three letter nomenclature things. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so, you know, they're running, you know, machines that are two, three thousand dollars in some cases. And all it's going to take is one of those servos to fail, and that bird's going to fall out of the sky. (laughs) And so rather than risk, you know, the damage, They'll replace gear before it fails.
0: See, and that blew my mind because I was sitting here, because like looking at the price tag of some of these. I'm sitting here going, and Thomas is like, "Oh yeah," and I got guys on the team that they'll go and they'll send their their servos in every like third run, and I'm going, "That's getting pricey quick."
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: Reminds but me why I don't to to do helicopters. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you have to understand that those guys, you know, they're sponsored pilots. You know, they're getting the stuff incredibly cheap or in some cases free so you know it's in their best interest to represent their companies in the best manner they can and if that means they have to spend two or three hundred dollars or more on servos so that they don't kill their bird that weekend you know because how's it gonna look if if you know you've got a servo fail true in front of a cloud you know, and, oh, what happened? My servo failed. Well, what kind of servo are you using? They lay the name out there, and chances are that person's never going to buy one, (laughs) you know. Um, That being said, under normal conditions, most, you know, average pilots, um, they don't fly that hard, you know. Uh, If you want to see a rad pilot, um, one of our employees, his name is Jason Bell. Um, He's one of the best pilots in the world. Um, He's I mean, when you see what this guy can do with a helicopter, it will blow your mind. Just go onto YouTube and search his name. Uh, the guy is an animal. And, you know, I I don't see how these guys do what they do. Um, you know, when you watch their fingers on the remote or on the radio, um, you know, it's like, my God, how can their brain keep track of all these different movements and what and the impact that it has on the model because they're doing, you know, three, four, five things at the same time. You know, they're flipping switches and, you know, they've got, you know, two, two areas of direction on each stick, so they're going up and down and side to side at the same time and, you know, not only, you know, they can go at angles and all kinds of different stuff. So it just, it blows my mind to see these guys do what they do. Um, oh, it's and, amazing it's, it's incredibly impressive
3: like that in the 3d plane <laughs> flying is just mind-blowing to watch
1: yep yep And that's actually that's how kendall got started in radio control the guy that owns a um you know he's a pilot first um just turns out he's really fast with a car too <laughs> and yeah. um you know he, he was the guy that we all tried to beat back in the early days you know he he was the one that we were all hunting for, and I remember the first time I beat him. It was, I had, you know, it it was a huge sense of accomplishment to be able to beat Kendall. Um, you know, in the last few years, he kind of kind of started taking it easy on RC cars, but in the last couple months or so, he's been getting back into it because we put in a carpet track at our outdoor track, and he's been getting into racing carpet and. He's uh, been trying to talk me into coming out and doing it, and it's been tempting, but at the same time, I i don't have time to build a race car right now.
3: Dude, carpet's so fun, though. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah. yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine.
3: You're just hooked up the entire time. Like, it in, I mean, you have to have quick reaction speed, and so it really, I struggled with that at first, but after a while, you start to develop some muscle memory, and it gets easier, but... Man, until you've driven on, like, a two-wheel buggy on a surface where you can actually see what it can really do, you know, when it has traction all the time, it's, it's mind-blowing.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and that's the thing. I, I appreciate the guys that can drive carpet fast. Um, for me, the whole thing that got me into RC was off-road. Um, I grew up around uh, Score International race cars. Uh, my dad had a Class 2 1600 uh, and, uh, you know, granted, I was young when I did it, and that's part of the reason, I think, why I was so drawn to the off-road RC cars, because um, I didn't get to do it later in life, you know. And uh, But racing in dirt, in off-road, the way that an, a dirt track changes over the course of a race. Um, oh, yeah. Beginning of the day to the end of the day, and the way you have to change up your lines, and the way you can... You know, affect the trajectory of the car while it's in the air using throttle and brake and steering and stuff. You know, it's it's like Supercross, and you know that's what got me into RC. And you know, granted that I haven't raced an 8 scale buggy in years, but if I was gonna get back into racing, I think that's what I'd want to do is a nitro car of some kind, Um, just because the mechanics behind it and the racing is kind of more realistic. Because yeah, you've got to figure in pit stops and strategies. And oh,
3: the pit strategy is rad. That's probably one of the most fun things about doing nitro. I think.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, and you got a little pit crew. You know, and you know it's just it, it's it's about as close to to one to one racing as you're gonna get.
3: Yeah, exactly. Well, I tell you what, after racing on carpet for the winter and then moving to outdoors and doing dirt, it's funny, you actually end up being faster when you go to dirt because it's so much more forgiving than the carpet is. Like, everybody that I raced with this year indoors ended up being just super fast outdoors when it came time for dirt season because it was so much easier.
2: That's awesome.
3: Yeah, fun stuff.
0: Yeah, it's just uh, one area that I've never really gotten into. I pretty much just stuck with crawlers, so I'm I'm pretty boring when it comes to all the other RC uh, <laughs> areas.
3: It's tough to but, uh, top the fun of crawlers, though.
1: It, and and that's true, you know. It, I look at race cars. I mean, you know, they're rad. The technology behind a, a race grade or competition level RC car is insane. Um, that being said, they're all kind of cookie cutter. You know, one company may be doing something a little different than the other guy, but they're all essentially the same thing. And I think that's a big part of what attracted me to scaling, because growing up I did, you know, plastic models. Uh my grandpa was into garden scale trains and was in a club and you know, he he did a lot of his own uh dioramas and stuff like that. And so I've always been into modeling. And the scale side of crawling is what kind of drew me in the most. Um, you know, I built a scaler before I ever built a comp crawler type truck. Um, you know, and I only did that just for the experience to see what it was like and see what the differences it, were in the capabilities of the truck. But you know, um, you know, I've always loved the realism behind. Trucks and you know you guys are are starting this hashtag this full dollhouse thing you know and I've kind of jumped on with that because I think it's hilarious. Oh, and, that's so funny. And, oh, yeah, that
0: was I, hilarious I, when we first heard that one.
1: Yeah, right. And so you know that's kind of you know I, I've started using that term you know is okay this is a trail truck this is a comp truck and then this is a dollhouse rig because yeah uh, you know there's a difference between the three types of trucks. And, you know, they, they all have their place. And you'll see guys that take what I would consider a dollhouse truck, you know, with full driver figure and everything, you know, they'll take them out on the trail and they'll, they'll drive them and do whatever and beat them up. And, but for me, you know, I've got a couple trucks like that that I, I can never abuse them because <laughs> I end yeah. up putting so much time and effort into them, you know, something that takes three months to build, you don't want to take it out and beat it up, oh, you know, yeah,
3: absolutely.
1: I've, got, I've got trucks for that, you know, I've got trucks that I can do stupid things with, and this full-scale, you know, dollhouse truck, if you will, um, you know, it's not going to do those things as well as the other trucks, so I'm just not even going to do it, so I'll take them out and cruise them and drive them around, but, um, you know, I'm... I'm not going to pull any crazy lines with them by any means.
3: Yeah, no, exactly. It's That's kind of my, I'm noticing now, like I'm sitting here staring at the rigs that I have, and it's like, yeah, it's for sure, I've got just a couple that actually, you know, I climb stuff with, and the rest are just kind of for trail use, and about the gnarliest action they'll see is something like, excuse me, something like Axial Fest, and that's really about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. See, and that, that's the thing I loved about Cisco Grove is, you know, yeah, you had the trails that you could stay on if you wanted to. But if you wanted to wander off a little bit, even on some of the other trails, I mean, there was some killer lines. Oh, yeah. You know? And the, the range of, of terrain that you found at Cisco Grove was something I have yet to experience. Um, you know, even up at Donner, Donner was great. There was some awesome rock up there, uh, but it just didn't have the magic yeah. of Cisco Grove. I sure you hope know? we get
3: to go back there.
1: So do I. So do I. And I've heard some rumors about you know how things are working there now, and I hope they're not true. Uh, you know, because you know I don't know if there is another place like Cisco Grove anywhere.
3: Yeah, I know. I mean, it, that and the amenities were nice, too. I mean, like, it was cool getting up in the morning, walking 50 feet to go take a shower, and then, you know, you're, like, fresh and refreshed each day, and it was just, it, it it's like what you said. Like, there's a certain magic about it that just can't really be replaced, and it's, I, I try not to think about it, because, like, I seriously get bummed out, because the two times that I've been down there was the most fun RC experience I've ever had.
1: Yep. Me, too. Me, too. Um, You know, it's going to be interesting to see how things shake down.
3: Yeah. Well, and the funny thing, too, is, like, I bet you probably 90% of my RC friends are from being down there, you know, meeting people.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, that's how I know you. That's how I know Adam. I mean, everybody. It was all brought together from Axial Fest there, so.
1: And I think that's... You know, the beautiful thing about scalers in general when you compare the scale world to the race world, um, you know, scalers encourage camaraderie. Yeah. Whereas the racetrack, yeah, you make friends there and, and there's a certain amount of camaraderie, but at the end of the day, you're trying to beat everybody. You know, yeah. if you're racing, you're, you should be racing to win. And if that means you don't tell them every little tweak or trick that you figured out with your car, that's what you've got to do, yeah. you know? <laughs> no, you're, you're
3: right. Well,
1: totally. You know, someone says, oh, what's that? And they're, oh, check it out, dude, this is what I did. And they pull the body off and they show it to you and, you know, and you want to you drive it, you know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you, know? Um, you know, and, you know, that's, that's a mentality that you don't see at the track very often. I'm sure it happens in some cases, but yeah. it's it's definitely not the norm at the racetrack.
3: Yeah, you know? no, for sure. Like we more than more than one occasion we've seen the towel over the car on the bench.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so now do yeah, either of that... you guys do any bashing?
3: I don't. Mm-hmm. Like I just not... skipped that. Just went straight to racing.
1: <laughs> well I kinda didn't yeah. do that.
0: No, I was going to say, I really don't do too much bashing. Um, the closest basher I would have would probably be my slash, um, the four-wheel drive. Yeah. Um, and I pretty much bought it for the reason that it is something that you could kind of go fast, beat it up, and it's kind of, you know, it's pretty durable. I Let's put it this way. I haven't broke anything on it. Yeah. Um, I'm not super hard on my rigs because... I don't know. I have I'm from like the old method that you know you uh you know you definitely you break it, you buy it and uh if you've worked hard for your money, you tend to want to take care of your stuff. So I've never been a hard you know one of those guys that really go, "Okay, I'm going to beat the crap out of this just because I can."
3: Yeah, I was raised that way too.
0: So it's like it's hard for me to like let go and like you know maybe have some fun with the rig like because I remember the first time and i I think I've said this story on on here before like I remember the first time putting brushless and bigger tires on my monster truck and I was like and, and within like thirty seconds I annihilated the car and I was like <laughs> I have to fix all this now and it's just going to cost <laughs> me more money and I don't know if it was worth. The thirty seconds of laughing.
3: Yeah, that's yeah. true. I will say this, taking a slash or something to a skate park should be on everybody's bucket list though if you are into RC. Like I did that one time. That was the closest thing I've done to bashing and dude, that that was some good fun. But it was broken parts.
1: Yeah, yep, yeah, it always is, you know, and, and I you know, I'm not a huge basher, but I've got a couple rigs that I do stupid things with. And uh You know, there's something to be said for just pure, unadulterated fun with an RC car. And like you say, taking a Slash to a skate park. Yeah, that's fun. But you should take an 8-scale e-buggy to the skate park. Oh, God. (laughs) It's way more fun than Slash. You know, Slashes are are fun trucks. Uh, These days, I don't think I'd do much more with it than turn it into a drag car, because I'm really into that. Um, But they don't jump well. (laughs) <laughs> you know, yeah. when you get all that air under the body, it doesn't matter how many holes you poke in them, they just, they don't jump well. Whereas with a, a four-wheel drive car, or even a two-wheel drive 10 scale buggy, you know, the way you can, you know, whip them around in the air, you know, that, it's a lot of fun. And oh, yeah, for sure. If you're careful with how you do it, you know, and, you know, maybe it, part of it is just, you know, taking the time to learn how to really drive the vehicle before you push it to its limit. Um right. you know um you know it's fun. Uh you know I've got this old it's an 8 scale buggy it was an old race car that I had that was just sitting on the shelf and I was like, "You know, it's got all the electronics and stuff in it. I want to see what this thing does on 6S." <laughs> and I took it out and ran it and I have a little Garmin GPS for for my mountain bike and I put it in there and I did a quick run up and down the street in front of my house and it was like 65 miles an hour. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Let's see what happens if I start gearing it up. And so over the course of like, you know, maybe a month or so, I kept tweaking on it to try and make it faster. And I ended up hitting about 80 miles an hour with it. And uh, because of the limitations of the chassis, I wasn't able to, you know, get it any faster than that. But then what I started doing with it, is I started experimenting with bigger tires and you know what could I do to make the thing backflip you know from a standing start um, <laughs> you know, and, and all these little things and you know I don't know if you remember Adam but at, uh, at the ASD crawlers event last year at the the SBC can you huck it contest I had that car there and you know and I pff, dude I beat the crap out of that thing there and the car still, it, it survived everything. It took everything I could throw at it. And we're talking 70 plus foot long jumps. You know? Yes.
0: Uh, that that one was actually getting pretty gnarly because they were at one point starting to double stack the ramp.
2: Yes, oh, exactly. God.
0: And <laughs> they weren't realizing <laughs> that they weren't making distance, they were making height. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: And, oh, and I've, got
1: a, I've got a picture that was taken, I don't know who took it, I've I apologize to whoever took this picture, but um, the car's like probably 20 feet plus off the ground, you know. And it's just, you know, it's fun. (laughs) And to take a car out and, you know, know what its limits are and push it to those limits and come home with a car that still runs, you know, it's a pretty satisfying feeling. you know, and, and right now I'm kind of, you know, the car sitting on my desk at work and I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do with it just yet, but um, because the drag racing scene has kind of taken off up here,
2: oh,
1: um, I'm going, to, I'm thinking that that's going to be like my unlimited class drag car. So I'll put some, uh, you know, what are they, uh, can't think of the name of the tires right now, but. Uh, Arma has their, those D-boots tires that come on the Infraction and the Limitless. Uh, th- those are really cool tires. They'll actually smoke pretty easily. Oh,
2: wow.
1: um, they're rated up to about 125 miles an hour. Um, so I was thinking about maybe throwing some of those on there. Um, GRP, those are the tires I was trying to think of. Uh, GRP makes some great tires for 8-scale GT cars that will handle 100 miles an hour plus. Um, and so I'm thinking that's probably the route I'm gonna go with the car and keep in mind this is a car that I mean it sucks I can't get parts for it anymore um, because it's been discontinued for years but the car itself is probably you know seven or eight years old and you know it's one of those things where I didn't want to sell the car and so it just always ended up on the shelf and, and the time came where I was like, hey, I can do something with this. And I had a toy that cost me nothing other than the cost of batteries. You know? And, and it, it, you know, repurposed, if you will. Yeah. Was that train track?
3: Was that a train <laughs>
0: Yeah, that or it's my buddy that drives by, one of the two. There's a freight train that goes by at about this hour, and then there's also my buddies that all have train horns in their trucks. So it's, oh, it's, funny. It's, it's one of the – it's it, it could be anything, but I do think that one's a freight train, and I can't believe my thing actually picked that up. But then again, that's because it's still – okay, what time is it? We're recording, and it's almost 10 o'clock, and it's still like 85 degrees out. So I have to have the door open with the fan on, otherwise – It'll be like a sauna in here. Why do you
3: guys live down there? Jesus.
1: <laughs> I'm,
3: I'm I, d- I died, bad. dude. Like, I couldn't handle it. Like, I hate being uncomfortably hot. Like, I can handle cold and snow and stuff. But, dude, uncomfortably hot, like, you can only take off, you know, so much clothes before you get in trouble, obviously. And, you know, well, when when you're just dying like that, that's no fun.
0: Well, it's funny you say that, and... Um you know looking at the time i just realized we're like at an hour 46 um but uh i that was my answer to everything i've always said cuz some people are like you know what's your favorite what's your favorite um season and i'm like i am a winter person i love winter i love the cold because it doesn't matter how cold it gets you can typically cover you know bundle up put more layers on have yeah. a fire whatever it is and you can always get comfortable if it's 120 degrees, it doesn't matter if you're in that 120 degrees with uh, flip flops and board shorts, or if you're butt ass naked, it still sucks.
3: Dude, it's probably the worst experience I've ever had was the weekend that I was in Vegas when I had broken my ankle at the Supermoto National race down there. It was 107 out, and we're like, you know, full gear, and some guys are wearing leathers and stuff too, like full like road race suits dude it like you would get done riding and you couldn't cool down like it it was the most frustrating and uncomfortable thing ever and like it affected your mood it affected everything it was just absolute misery i mean you'd get done and take your shirt off and everything else and you'd just be hot like the only saving grace really was when you were actually riding when you're sweating you had the you know the wind blowing on you went from you know, the speed that you're going, that was more com- the most comfortable you were was when you are actually on the track. Like, it was just hell. And I told myself there's no way I'm ever going to live anywhere that's like that. I mean, we'll get a couple days in the 90s up here, and that's about it. But, I mean, it I just I, – I couldn't do it. So you guys are tougher than I am.
0: Well, I guess you could say it's kind of like conditioning right now because – where I live in the Bay Area, we typically, well, this is the time it starts getting hotter for us. Like, actually, this summer has been pretty mild for the most part. Um, I think the hottest it's gotten, like, the last, you know, probably two to three months has been maybe 85 at the highest. It wasn't until these last couple days that we're seeing 95, 99, 101. You know, it's like, that's, you know, (laughs) but, but it's like, like I said, we, well, I know Matt's got it worse than I do, but like, we only have to experience that a little bit. And typically the saving grace we have is because we got the Bay air, it'll actually cool down, but it doesn't always happen. Like right now, like I said, it's like, I feel like I'm up like towards Roseville you know, because it's 10 o'clock at night and it still feels like it's 85 degrees out or hotter and you're just like, yeah, this is not fun.
3: Yeah, like seven-day forecast for up here, it's going to be 76 a week from now. And that's the high. The low is going to be 57. You suck. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's nice. Like, I finally found my environment because, like, in Oregon, we, you know, when it's... With climate change and stuff, it's definitely you know changed down there. But when where I'm from in Oregon, we used to have snow on the ground like three months out of the year, and you know we suffered through it. And I didn't have anything cool like RC or anything. I just did moto, and so there really wasn't much to do. But man, after moving up here in the particular area we live at, we don't get a whole lot of rain. I mean, we do in the winter time, but I mean the summertime, it's just like anywhere else and. Like I think I finally found like my place. Like we have decent weather, good temperatures, crawling stuff that's just crazy. And I don't know. I'm I, if I if I ever do leave, it would probably end up being to go over and work for Tegan and McCall over in Idaho. That would probably be the only other place I'd consider relocating to. They have a gnarlier winter than we do, but their summers are kind of like what we have here. So I just I don't know. I can't do the California thing. There's just no way. I mean well, when you're walking through a parking lot and the steel coat on the asphalt's like melting and you can see your shoe prints in it, that's no fun.
0: Well you're mistake you're mistaking us with like Arizona. That's like Arizona weather. Um Exactly.
3: Dude, we're, screw that place too.
0: We're, <laughs> we're we get we get the heat, but I don't think it's like that bad. The stuff that's starting to get scary and it's like like for Matt would scare the crap out of me is like the fires. Yeah. Um our, the, our fires in California have gotten pretty scary in the last couple of years, which, like, blows my mind, and I know this is, like, totally not RC-related, but it affects a lot of, like, the Northern California RC community, but I remember growing up, I don't remember hearing – because I've lived in California all my life. I don't remember hearing stuff like oh yeah we have this fire that's wiping out like four major cities. It's like you know, I don't remember any of that. Yeah, we you know, you have a couple here and there and they would like be contained in I don't you know, in rapid, you know, time like when I'm talking rapid time like contained in like a week, you know. Not that, oh, it's been burning for 28 days and we're only 30% contained. And it's like, you're like, are you kidding me? And I think a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, I wouldn't – I'm not going to call it overpopulation. I'm going to call it dense population, meaning that people are flocking to certain areas, whether it be for work, um, housing, uh, whatever it may be. And you're getting so many people in a rapid – Um, time frame moving to those areas and creating this stuff where stuff's just getting so dense, meaning like, you know, especially up towards, you know, I want to say the Sacramento area and the Napa area and, you know, all of those areas are kind of known for the, you know, the cheaper housing. You know, you go and get a house up in those areas What would cost you, like, let's say it's like a three to four hundred thousand dollar house? That's a, you know, million plus house down in the Bay Area, and it's just freaking ridiculous. And that's why I say these people are starting to move to different areas, um, for that reason. But some of the people moving to those areas, in my opinion, shouldn't be out there because they don't have the quote unquote, you know, I guess like, country ish you know, lifestyle. They don't know about clearing their property. They don't know about making sure, you know, you have a fire break from your house and where you're, you know, um, like, so that way if something catches on fire, you're not having this, you know, runway right up to your house. Uh, and And that is what I think a lot of the problem is. And then the other problem, quite frankly, I think is what our I guess, lack of, you know, uh, government regulates, you know. It's like they don't even come in and, you know, clean out anything, and then you got this big old tinderbox, and boom, catches on fire. You have
3: to. Like, forest management's so important. You absolutely have to do that.
0: And, I mean, that's just my my opinion. And, I mean, it's, yeah. And it's just sad to see, because it's like now... Um, especially because, like, Michelle's parents have a place up in Auburn, and this is the first year that they're starting to push those mandatory shutdowns where if it gets above a certain temperature and the wind starts picking up, they'll, they'll shut your power off, and you really have no warning. They'll let you know, like, yeah, like, it'll be the same day. You could leave and go to work, and the same day they'll let you know, like, well, by 3 o'clock this afternoon, your power's going to be shut off, and there's nothing really you can do about it if you if you have no chance if you have no time to like kind of prep for that you could be at work all day and you're like oh great i'm not home till 5 and i'm going to come home and i didn't have a chance to do anything i have no chance to to plug anything in who knows you know like i mean your fridge isn't going to sit there cold forever so you know you could have perishables going and i mean it's starting to be you know k- kind of hectic i mean generator sales are going to start going through the roof
1: We already have.
3: (laughs) Dude, everybody in our neighborhood has generators here because we lose the power all the time. But it's because of wind. It's really windy here on the coast.
1: Yeah, Yeah, you know, you referenced the fires, you know, up here, you know, and the campfire specifically. You know, that was insane. I didn't think I lived to see anything like that in my lifetime. Well, you evacuated, didn't you? Not from the campfire, Um, I have been evacuated in the past, Um, but no the campfire actually happened in Paradise.
3: Oh okay, that's right.
1: Paradise is about 20 minutes away from Chico, Chico is where A-Main is, Um, but there were, I mean a considerable amount of employees, I want to say there was like maybe 15 or 20 people at A-Main. That were directly impacted by the fire, meaning you know either they lost their house or they couldn't go back to their house for a very long time. Um, and me personally, you know, uh, the town of Paradise, what I used to work up there, uh, I did home inspections, and um, you know, I I know a lot of people that lived in Paradise, and I actually know people that were killed in the fire. Oh um, thank God. And, yeah, like you say, you know, yeah, there is an issue with population, but I'd say the bigger issue is forest management, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, you talk to the loggers and you talk to the people in the Forest Service and they all say their hands are tied. There's nothing they can do about it because environmental regulations and other things prevent them from going in and cleaning out acres and acres of dead forest and cleaning the underbrush like they used to do because you know Adam you say that you don't remember the amount of fires when you were younger because they didn't have them because the environmental regulations didn't exist and the forests were maintained and you know it's it's sad you know and I don't want to get off on a politics rant but um, you know when the regulations were changed you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, um, you know, the experts in those fields said this is what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, fires are going to get really, really bad. So, you know, why they continued to tie the hands of the people that manage the forests, we'll never know. But hopefully it will change.
0: If you want my opinion, it's because... And like you said, not to get on total political rant, it's because you got too many people in like your cities, like San Francisco, um, and even like LA and parts of Sacramento, where they think they're they're speaking for the entire state when really they're just speaking for themselves. And what they want to see happen, they don't see the actual impact that it takes on your more rural areas, you know, like your Chico, you know, like Auburn right like, yeah cuz they don't
3: live there i mean no yeah.
0: and that's and that's why i mean you know you see those you know you see the people that you know they get frustrated because they're like look you guys are changing all these taxes and you're changing all these like laws and they have no impact on you but they're impacting the crap out of us and that's the problem that's going on is you get these too many people and in <clears throat> you know government that are like they're just looking out for the big city and it and it's ridiculous i mean i know i live 30 40 minutes away from you know one of the quote unquote most you know like visited landmarks in california san francisco i personally hate that city i will not go to san francisco if i do not have to
3: yeah. <laughs> i could understand that into the list that to the average listener right now i mean the this actually is an important topic, even though it is kind of you know like fringing on the political side of things. But this all directly affects the areas that we like to go enjoy on the weekends and crawl and camp and everything that we do.
0: Well, there's an there's another thing you know like you know that ties it into. Um, I'm a member of Corva California Off Road Vehicle Association and. Mm-hmm. That's because my background started in one-to-one, then I trickled into the scale side because it was a lot cheaper than breaking my real truck. And um, What people don't realize is even with the scale, that quote-unquote in their eyes impacts the land that we're using or that we're visiting to do these events. And they, you got these environmentalists that want to shut it down and say, "Oh, you're impacting the the earth. You're impacting the natural environment." When, yeah, I'm sure there are people that go out and they, you know, they have no regard for where they're at, and they'll, you know, they'll set their soda can down or toss their bag of chips on the ground because you know they're thinking nobody's watching. But there I are people. But there are people in this industry that actually care, and that's one thing I've always wanted to kind of push in the scale world is to get people to be a little more um, conscientious about their you know their environment and you know what happens when these places get shut down and you're no longer allowed to use them you know you I mean' I'm, I've seen people do it, but you're not gonna go to the local mall and crawl your you know one tenth scaler up the escalator and through you know. Nordstrom's and Macy's and whatnot, you know, like, you need to be able to go out and enjoy the outdoors and keep it open for the next generation and the next person to enjoy as well. So it's like be, you know, conscientious about what you are doing. So like, you know, and if you see somebody else throwing something out or just tossing or not caring, you know... Don't be afraid to say something cuz you know ju- if if everybody had that mentality, oh it's just one thing, times that by a million people and see how fast it ruins something. Yep.
2: Oh yeah,
3: absolutely.
1: And it just it, it sheds a bad light on your hobby no matter what it is. You know, exactly. Um, you know, I've seen guys leave header cards on the side of the trail cuz they had to stop and fix something and you know, they just leave their trash and it's like, "Hey, pick it up."
2: You yeah, know, exactly.
1: be shit because you know they will. That'll get directly related to me. Even though yeah. I wasn't doing it, they're going to see me here. You know, driving my RC car, and yeah. you know they're going to. You know, I'm guilty by association, and so it's it's up to you as a responsible enthusiast, no matter what hobby you're in, to you know from a to make sure that the public's perception of you is positive
3: yeah absolutely it just takes one person to ruin it for everybody and you know the right person complains and kicks and screams and makes enough noise it'll ruin it for the group I mean that's just how things work now so it, it's oh, something that it's, everybody needs to keep in mind
0: and it goes and it goes in so many different topics I mean there's you know there's so many different areas that that ruin that that whole attitude ruins everything I mean oh, it doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't matter what it is it doesn't matter if it's if it's scale four wheeling you know hiking hunting firearms, whatever it is one person can ruin that entire genre or hobby and you know it makes everybody else that are you know ob- are are trying to obey you know whatever it is code of conduct laws regulations, and it creates you know this whole bad persona and now you're like, you know, you're the bad guy all of a sudden.
3: Yeah, exactly. Nope. That's a very, very good point. Well, as we're getting kind of close here to the end, winding down, I know there was a couple more questions I had and Matt, if, if you can answer them fine, if, if you can't uh, totally understand Um, when it comes to sales, what, I, I, I've often wondered what the scope is of, let's say, the scale RC hobby, in, for example. In terms of units, like... If, if somebody's like man i wonder how many scx tens get sold in a year or you know a, a certain model when it's released how many are sold or like how many they expect to sell what what are without getting too specific on certain brands and getting in trouble or anything what are some uh what are some numbers that if you can share any with us because it, it's something that is interesting because i i wonder you know how many of us there really are out there
1: yeah yeah well you know um I mean, using those numbers to determine how many overall enthusiasts there are, it's kind of hard to do because most people who are really into it, they've got more than one truck, right? Right. Um, but, you know, as far as, like, sales of a popular kit in, you know, any genre, I mean, you could see, you know, three, 400 units a year, um, in some cases more, um, Wow. You know, I I've seen you know some cars that take off that you no know, no matter how many buy, we buy we can't keep them in stock. They just keep rolling out the door as fast as we can bring them in. Um, there's other instances where you know you think a, a model is going to do really well because of whatever reason, and you know you sell two or three a month. Wow. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's weird, and it's, that, that's part of the art of being a, a purchasing manager, is trying to identify, you know, how many of these do we need? How many yeah. do we think are going to sell? And, you know, sometimes we get it right, and sometimes we don't. Um, you know, it, and, and another big part of that is also, you know, it's not necessarily the retailer that you're buying your products from it's the manufacturer and their ability to supply kits and in most cases more importantly parts so that the after-sales service can continue on that model and so i've seen you know with some brands where they make a great kit handles well works great but you know parts supply is not available and that immediately kills the demand on a model.
2: Oh yeah. You know, because
1: you know, you don't want to have to buy two kits to ensure that you have parts.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: And um, you know, I have I've known a lot of people that have done that just to guarantee that you know, and they'll leave that kit sealed up and they'll buy the parts that they need for that kit, but the day's going to come when maybe they can't get it And so then they fit into the kit, you know. And if they've still got that kit when they're ready to move on to the next car, then they'll usually sell it and, you know, try to use that to roll it back into the next car.
3: Um, I know with racing we've done that with parts cars. We've had parts cars before and then sell them when they change models.
1: Exactly. You know, and and granted, with scalers that's not as big of an issue, and especially with models like the SCX-10, and scX102 and really all the axial cars there's such huge aftermarket support for those cars that that helps to prop them up because whatever you break is likely to be a weak link and there's someone out there making something stronger for it you know and that's where you know companies like SSD and vanquish and like samix for instance you know they're an overseas company that was uh, you know I think we're one of the only shops in the United States that sells it um, you know there there's parts at every price point that you can use to upgrade that model and yeah. when the aftermarket gets behind a kit, that helps solidify the demand of that kit and keeps it selling in the long run you know right. uh, you know and and yeah, you know, so if someone's on the fence about, you know, which car should I buy, you know, just go through the parts categories for those models and see what the inventory's like. Um, yeah. let's see if the parts are there, see what aftermarket support is like. Um, you know, and go from there. You know, and that's one thing about like the Enduro for instance, you know, I know for a fact that there are multiple companies getting ready to drop bombs for that car that you know are are going to solidify that kit in the market um, as right. it is I mean there's too many of them out there for it to go away
2: <laughs> you know yeah,
1: uh, true. The truck works great you know it 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 is what it is um, but the aftermarket support that's coming for that car is 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 gonna be something that really drives more sales in the future you know?
3: I think that i'm I'm pretty. S- surprised about the uh the numbers of units that move like i you know i i i've for whatever reason had in my mind that you know there it might be in the thousands but that that's crazy to think you know that it may just be hundreds on certain rigs
1: exactly in some cases it is in the thousands you know yeah. um but it's hard and like if you use the scx 10 as an example you know Overall, yeah, there may be thousands of kits that sell, but you're breaking that up across four or five different models, right? Because you got the builder's kit, you got the ready-to-run, you've got the standard kit, two different kits that come with bodies. Right. You've got three or four different ready-to-run options, you know? And so when you add all those numbers up, sure, you know, you're looking at thousands of units. Um, right. But... You know, if you're just talking like the SCX-102 ready to run, the old school gray Jeep, you know, Mm -hmm. um, on the first year release, yeah, I'd say. I mean, we we sold a lot of cars, dude. Oh
3: yeah, I bet.
1: You know, and and for me, I mean, I'd, I'd give you numbers if I had them. Right. But I have so many numbers all day, every day. That oh,
3: I understand. <laughs>
1: if I don't need to remember it, it my brain purges it very quickly. <laughs> oh yeah,
3: no, I yeah. I understand, and how that goes.
2: Yeah.
1: No, it, yeah. it's it's
3: just fascinating to me, you know, because it's, you know, um, there's people out there that think that it's, you know the volume of like auto manufacturers and stuff. And, you know, there it's neat getting that perspective from inside the industry, you know, because then it can kind of help people chill a little bit when it comes to certain aspects of the hobby, you know, if they actually know, you know, that it's either smaller or larger than they think it is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and the other thing that's having a big impact on the demand of like kind of your classic kits, is the amount of competition that there is now? Um, yeah. you know, back When the SCX 102 Ready to Run was released, there was only the SCX 102 Ready to Run and Made and you know a couple other random brands, but none of them had the popularity of the axial. You know, right. but now we've got the Vanquish truck, we've got the SSD truck, we've got the Enduro, we've got some really good tr- trucks from G-Made. Um You know, uh, who else am I missing? Uh, RC four-wheel drive. Um, You know, you go through the list and and there's six or eight solid brands that make great products. And so, you know, it makes the decision really hard for the customer. Like, which one am I going to buy? You
2: know, which one should I get,
1: you know? And, uh, you know, so in a way it kind of hurts the hobby. Because I'd be willing to bet that there's a lot of people out there that, you know, they go shopping on our site, and they get overwhelmed by the selection. You know, yeah, and, ah, screw this, I'm going to go do something different, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um,
0: yeah, that's a good way to look at it, too. You know, I never really thought about that, but, you know, you do bring up a good point. I mean, when I first got into this example, um, there was really... I My choices to get into a crawler really were between, like, the the AX-10 Scorpion... Uh, They had just released the SCX-10, so it's like I was leaning between, like, okay, which one do I pick? And luckily for the guy at my hobby shop at the time uh, before he moved, uh, he was like, dude, go with the trail. You know, go with one that looks like a real truck. He goes, the other one, yeah, it'll crawl, but you're buying, like, a purpose-built. Like, you want something – like, I know what you're going to – like, trust me, you're going to want the scale, you know – Look, so go that route which I'm happy he pointed me in that direction because I probably would have ended up you know now being like trying to get your hand on anything that's like old that you can find and still a good condition you know I try to I try to snatch it I mean it, I don't know if I don't know if Matt knows about this but um, I think Jay knows I purchased that ax10 off of Jason when he closed CKRC just to have it okay, okay. that is cool. I never planned on running it. I just was like, dude, that's a piece of art or history, in my opinion. So I better snatch it. So, um, yeah. So like, if I, I mean, nowadays I'm looking at it differently. But back then, it was like, yeah, I'm trying to get into this, you know. And even back then, there really wasn't a lot to like. You had to be creative because there, there wasn't the big. Aftermarket support, you know, like if you were if you were somebody who didn't have your own uh, fab skills, like to like build your own bumpers, build your own sliders, whatever it may be, you literally had three or four bumpers to choose from from RC Four Wheel Drive. You had like three or four sets. I mean, really, back then, Proline had, I think, the flat irons, and that was really their only scale tire that I could remember. I could be wrong. There might have been a couple others. But you really had to pick through RC4-wheel drive. That was really your only option for scale tires. It wasn't, I want to say, until about 2012, 2013, that the scale industry blew up, and all of a sudden you had all these different companies coming out with stuff. You had multiple bolt-on accessories from not just RC Four Wheel Drive, but you had other companies coming up with their own bolt-on stuff. Like Proline was introducing their plastic bumpers. Um, yeah. They had they had more tires to choose from. You had the Super Swamper.
1: Um, uh, Proline used to do those those molded cages. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah, remember they had like two or three different molded cages that you can't get anymore. I wish they'd do more of that.
3: Oh, those were so that was kind of ahead of their time, really. When you think about it, I mean, yes,
1: it was. Yep. And
0: that's and that's what kind of blows my mind when like you sit there and think about it and you're like, what's available now versus what was available then, and how fast and how quickly it's grown is pretty mind blowing.
2: Yep. yep. it's it hard
3: is. to steer somebody in the right direction. I mean, like it, they're a lot of times now there is no just one clear cut answer. I mean, if somebody came to me right now and they're like, Hey, I want to get an RTR and you know, this'll be my first rig. What do you think I should get? That's a really hard question to answer now. Cause there is so much great stuff and it's same with tires and everything. I mean, it, it's, there's so many choices, which is fantastic, but it does make it really hard to try and steer somebody in a direction. I mean, it's a cool problem to have, but
1: yeah, you know, exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned, um, you know, your AX10 that you got from CKRC. Was that one that was built by the original owner of CKRC?
0: No, it's uh, it was a brand new in the box. It's it was one that's it was the it was the back when they issued the uh, what would they call it the A R T R almost ready to run, meaning oh, okay. that it was it was there. It was all put together, you just don't have a servo, motor, ESC, or a remote. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, okay, okay. So, that's
0: yeah, yes Yeah, I, no, I, dude, it's still sitting in the box. Like, God, I, have not, nice. I have not done a single thing to it. It's sitting in the box. I actually brought it to Axial Fest last year, and that's when uh, Schultz was joking around going, um, Harley, get up here! We got an unboxing to do, and I was like, "You guys, cut that box open! There's going to be some serious problems."
1: <laughs> That's funny. That That's is funny. really cool. Was the original owner of CQRC was his? Was that Jake Hollenbach or no? What was the original owner's name?
0: I think you're right. I think it was. I think it was Jake. Um,
1: okay. Okay. Well, I had a buddy that worked for RC Car Action Magazine, and he has and AX10 that he got through the magazine that has all of these CKRC parts on it. Whoa. Like all kinds of upgrades and all kinds of cool stuff. I don't know how common they are or not, but I've been trying to talk him out of it for a while. Um, But what I did talk him out of, and I'll send you guys pictures when we're we're done with this. Uh, It's an old-school... Was it? Uh, it's called a Super Hustler. So it's a super class comp crawler uh-huh. that uh, was built for the magazine. It was an article car that has maybe two or three runs on it. And it's exactly like it looked in the magazine article. Um, it was a uh, RCX, which was RC Expo, a big RC show that they used to do, do down in LA. Um, it was an RCX display vehicle and been all over the place, and I don't know. Uh, that's kind of like one of the cool rigs in my collection because it's it's vintage. And it's from like the early days of crawling, um, and you can kind of see where the hobby started and see where it's gone. You know, um, it's a really great example of how things have changed.
3: That is really uh, cool. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's and it's a rad car. I I have never driven it. Um, and I intentionally have not put a receiver in it because I know that if I could drive it, I would drive it. (laughs) And and I don't want to take it out and beat it up. Um, And it's funny because a buddy of mine, I think it was, I think the name of the company was JCP maybe, something like that. Um, But apparently the owner of that company was at AxioFest. And a buddy of mine ran into him and was like, hey, I want to tell you, a friend of mine has this car, and it was built for RC Car Action, and the guy remembered it, and he wanted to see pictures of it, and I sent it to him. And Oh, wow. It was, yeah, it was awesome. And, and that thing, these experiences that you get scaling, you know, that never seemed to happen in other forms of RC that I've done over the years, you know? Um, the friendships that you make and and the interest that people have in what you're doing, um, you know, people want to know what you're building. They want to see what you've done, and you know, maybe you know, get some some you know, pick up some some tips and tricks from you, or you know, you reach out to them and and try to get you know, learn something from them. Um, you know, it, it's a beautiful thing, and I think as long as Everybody continues to see the cars for what they are and treat it as a hobby. you know. And yeah, RC is life, don't get me wrong. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the best example of it, or I'm as good of an example of it as anybody else. Um, but, you know, don't take it too seriously. There's so many people that use... Every little thing as an excuse to go nuclear, that it, it really is frustrating. And it has a tendency to push people away from the hobby. You know, I know people that have been doing this long, not RC, but they've been doing scaling longer than I have. And with some of the things that have gone on on some of the social platforms recently, you know, they just say, you know what? I'm done with it. It's not fun anymore. Yeah. You know? So... You know, anybody who's listening to this, you know,
3: that's keep, some... keep
1: it fun. That's yeah. the important thing. Is keep it fun and, you know, kind of share the love, so to speak. Spread the love and, you know, don't be that guy.
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: so, um, it, it's, it's easy to get caught up in it, you know, and that, that's one reason why I don't post much on the social platforms. I've got an Instagram page, you know, that I, I kind of keep up to date fairly regularly. Um, but you know, some of the social stuff, it's like, it doesn't matter what you post. Someone's going to come in and trash you.
3: Yeah. That gets old real fast.
1: You know, and you know, I know there's some pages that are really good about regulating it. Um, but people need to kind of step back and and think about it, that, you know, these are just, at the end of the day, these are just toy cars, and you can't take it too seriously. Well,
0: another prime example is when I started getting into this, comp crawling was still big with, like, the bergs, the bullies, all that stuff. That was big. The MOA class was big. It's nowhere anymore because... They took it too seriously and they were too worried about trashing everybody that they killed off. Nobody wanted
1: to do it anymore.
0: There was, yep. there was no fun anymore.
1: Yep. Yep. And, and that's what I don't want to see happen to scaling. Um, I, I think even if, you know, the popularity kind of dwindled, I think you would always have the hardcore guys that just build for themselves. It doesn't matter what event they're going to or what they're doing. They just want to build a cool rig. And, you know, those of us who fit that description, um, you know, it's it's our job to regulate the people and and help educate those people about, you know, keeping everything in check.
3: Yeah, which is damn hard.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. And that's why I have a tendency to avoid all that stuff.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah, well, no, see, me
3: too anymore.
1: It's
0: funny that you say that because I, I'm that way too. I'm probably on Instagram more than anything just because it's easier. But, like, I, I mean, there's times, like, I'll show up to stuff and people are like, oh, did you see da-da-da-da-da on Facebook? And I'm like, dude, I barely check it. So it's like yeah. if, you guys, if you guys want me to see something, put it on Instagram. Because yeah. it's, it's like, I'll see it faster, you know, and I mean, yeah, it's just, it, it's kind of hard to stay up on everything. I mean, it's like, especially when you have a, a job, you know, that you have to be, you know, that you have to, that takes a lot of your time and focus, because um, I mean, I don't know how many people listening know that I'm in like, you know, the construction field. It's like. I don't have the time to sit there all day long staring at this post and that post and knowing when this person posted what and for how many cookies, and it's like, I'm sorry, I got other stuff, bigger fish to fry than to worry about that. So it's like, not to be rude, it's like, I just, you know, it's hard to stay on top of it all.
1: It is. Yeah. It really is. And props to the guys that can, you know, and that do a good job at it. Um, but for me, I mean, if I have someone approach me and say, oh, did you see this? Did you see that? I say, no, send me a link. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> if, if it's something I should see, you know, send me a link to it so I can find it easily. Otherwise, I'll never see it. <laughs> Instagram
3: okay. really is a great platform if you're interested in something that's you know a, a, a good resource for builds and stuff and you don't want to deal with the BS posts and all the other shit that goes along with it. I think that Instagram is really good for that. I mean, I, with me, I know my own personal interest is in the pictures and videos. You know, I like to look at other cars because that gets me fired up and gives me inspiration and stuff. I don't really care about all the posts and everything that goes on on all the Facebook pages. And so, I mean, my, my presence on Facebook has dropped down to practically nothing. But Instagram is definitely... Uh, I, I think if somebody wants to skip all the nonsense and stuff, create an Instagram account and kind of follow some of the major guys and businesses that are in the industry, because that that's a lot more helpful, and you don't have all the nonsense to go along with it.
1: Exactly. And, uh, Agreed. And I've seen some of you know the mentality bleed into Instagram, you know, and it, it's true. Everybody has an opinion, and yeah. you're free to. To share your opinion in a public forum but at the same time you know you don't need to sit and and hammer your opinion over and over and over again
3: yeah you're not going to change somebody's mind it's like coming across exactly. protesters i've never driven past a mob protesting and been like oh shit you know what that's right i'm Going to impeach Trump now because those guys held some signs up that said it. You know, it's like that doesn't wear off. And so it's just, I think the quicker people realize that you're not going to change people's minds or get them to see things from your point of view, you're going to have a lot less frustration and enjoy the hobby a lot more.
1: Yep, exactly. So, I mean, treat it for what they are. They're toy cars. Go have fun with them. Drive them. You know, beat them, break them, fix them, build them. You know, but don't get caught up in all the all the drama.
0: Well, the other thing too is always I've always just had this, you know, view on everything. There's so many people out there that just like, you know, they they I call it the They all write checks, and only certain ones actually have a value to them. They're actually worth depositing. So it's like just kind of like take that into consideration. So like if you put something up and somebody like gets on you and is like, oh, that looks like crap. Why would you do this? And if that was me, I would have went this way. And it's like, well, yeah, if it was you, you would have went that way. Just take it for what it is, you know, and whatever happened to that old saying, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all.
3: Exactly. Yep. Forgotten words. Yeah. So, you know,
0: everybody, everybody's too caught up on just saying, yeah,
3: well, if it was mine, I'd do it this way. Well, good. Go get your own and do it your way. And honestly, you're going to feel better about yourself too. Like if you're online, you see something cool, like it or give somebody some props. Be like, man, that is a spectacular build. You did a you know, phenomenal job. That can make somebody's day, you know, and that could be the thing that keeps them in the hobby or out of the hobby too. I mean, it's... everybody loses if you try and run people off. Yep. So um,
0: I was going to say, with that, we'll probably wrap it up. Um, I don't know if Matt's going. I will be at ASD this weekend um, at the Autism Awareness Crawl at Patterson. Um,
1: Yeah, I can't make it. Um, I've kind of had to... Take a break this season. Um, you know, I, I did. I've done some local things, but uh, anything involving travel, um, I've kind of had to take a break this year. Um, so I won't be at ASD. I'm gonna try and make for here. Um, just, I love Mark. I love Bruce. I love all those guys, and uh, I, I'm, I'm. Trying to get everything lined up to where I can be there, but I don't know if I can.
3: That's the one I'm excited for. I'm going to do everything I can to try and make that one.
1: Nice. It's a great event. Um, you know, I think it's Bear River Lake Resort is what they call it, or something like yep. that, or Bear Lake Resort. Bear, um, yeah,
0: Bear River Lake Resort in Pioneer, California.
1: Yeah, yeah, that it, it's a great spot. You know, um, it was some fun crawling. I went last year. Um, you know, it, it's a it's an awesome event you know, for good cause, too, you know, that that's the other thing that I find about scaling is a lot of these events, they're not just for uh, event promoter to make money. You know, there's usually some kind of uh, reason behind it. And, you know, it's like call for a cure or autism awareness, you know. Um, you know, just not long ago, uh, there was one for epilepsy, you um, you know, and there's some other stuff coming up, and and there's so many charity-based organizations that every dollar they make ends up getting given to someone
3: for a cause. So cool.
1: Yeah, it's so awesome. You know, and and that's just another example of how much love gets spread around through the scalar hobby. You know, and and I don't think I, I mean, you see some benefit stuff on occasion in the race world but you know there's a lot of races that get put on purely so that the promoter can make a bunch of money yeah and, you know it, it it not just i mean it, it's a necessary evil you know cause if you're not gonna make any money then why do it but um, you know the the guys in the scalar world it just seems like there's a lot of love getting spread around and yeah, that's it's true mess-
3: very true well, that's probably one of the better closing statements I think we've had. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right on.
2: Well,
1: well hey guys, thanks a lot for having me, you know, I still kind of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm honored that you would, you would ask me to come on the show, and and you know that you think that people care <laughs> about what I would have to say. Um, no,
3: nah, you're a cool guy, man, and you got a great, unique perspective that not many people uh, are in a position to have in this hobby, so, I mean, it, it's very interesting. I mean, I could sit here and talk about this all day with you. Yeah, oh, yeah,
0: no and I think that's why this is going to be another one of our longer episodes because it's just so easy, like, to sit there and just talk, you know, on and on and on and on.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So, but, yeah, we'll definitely have to have you back on at some point. Um Because, as everybody knows, the hobby evolves and more and more stuff is going on. So it's always fun to check back in and see where everyone's at.
3: Absolutely. Cool. Well. I'd
1: I'd love to be on again.
3: Absolutely. We'll do it. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, we will catch you next time. Have a good night, guys.